The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Broadcasting live from the Toscano Cigar Soundstage in Salem, New Hampshire, USA. And broadcasting around the world, this is the Cigar Authority. Transmitting since 2010, the Cigar Authority is the longest-lasting cigar podcast ever. Grab a cigar and light them up, light them up, light them up. This is the Cigar Authority. Light them up, light them up, light them up, everybody. Saturday, August 20, 2022, and today we're going back in time, actually three centuries ago, to the cigars that built America. And joining us is the cigar historian, Eric Newman, the president of J.C. Newman Cigars, America's oldest cigar factory. Welcome, everybody, to the Cigar Authority. And you are listening to the Cigar Authority, now in its 13th year, making it the longest continually running cigar podcast. Awarded the Ambassadors of Cigars by Cigar Journal Magazine. Awarded the Top 10 Educational Podcast by Podbean four years in a row. The Cigar Authority is the most listened to cigar podcast in the world. Cigar Radio at its finest. The Cigar Authority is a proud member of the United Podcast Network. And you catch the podcast on demand at any time or our daily blog at thecigarauthority.com. Eric Newman, it's been three years since you've been in this seat. Great to be back, Dave. First, COVID was uh, put me out of business last year, and uh, you know, come up here for our, our uh, annual trek up to uh, all your, your stores up here. I have a Diamond Crown pr- promotion deals, and looking forward to your thirty seventh dinner coming up yes. here. And yes, I missed it last year because of COVID. The year yeah. before COVID put everybody out of business, so yeah. it's great to be be back here. It's great to have you, and you're the perfect person to have because uh, we're going to talk about the old days. We're going to really go back back in time today. But over the past three years, something has changed with you. You've become a fan of the Cigar Authority. I listen to it almost every week. And, uh, I'm sorry. I was, I, was, I was never able to catch it live because I'm not. I'm, a, I'm so old, I'm not sure how to get on Facebook and yeah, how, yeah. To, how to get on YouTube, but I listen to it in my, in my car and uh, I learn things. I laugh when you call me up and you tell me things that I said. And <laughs> you don't remember you said it, did, did you? <laughs> did I really say that on the air? definitely does not remember it's that the he said It's the craziest things that you bring up, and uh, so I apologize for everything I've said in the past, of, but but there's more to, to come today. And last night's show, last last week's show was great. Yes, wow. My, my, my old friends here, <laughs> I've uh, learned more more. A few skeletons got out, and yes. God bless him for having the uh, chutzpah. Yeah, to, uh, and it, it was it was entertaining. Speaking yeah. of last week's show, when I saw the the audience is split down the middle, half of our audience hated it, hated it. Yes, mm. and half absolutely loved it. Yeah, said, oh, that was been, the best one ever. <laughs> now the people say, oh my God, take the show off the air. There has not been a single person that was like, eh. yeah. So, I mean, people feel strongly. They feel strongly. Hey, if I haven't offended yet, give me time. I'll get there. Yeah. And well, in 13 years doing two hours every single week, you run out of material. And what are you going to talk about? And I thought at the beginning, these guys, well, don't talk about this. Don't talk about this. So this one was, you tell me what I can talk about with, with you guys of what you don't want people talking about. And they gave it all, right? They, they let... No, Everything else. There was no filters on no, last week. There was no holding back. Oh, there was a there was a filter. All right, it went right through the. Yeah. He, oh, I have a coin story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> How is that? Well, I know you didn't want me to, to say it, but uh, 
unfortunately, I'm kind of boring. I don't have these elaborate stories that, that you guys have. Uh, I lived. You've never been arrested even never, once? Never, never. Huh. No. Nope. Oh. I don't know what handcuffs feel like. Either way, hmm. good or bad. I mean, I can bring some in. <laughs> yeah. They're a little furry. Is yeah. that okay? But, David, no. you're the only person here who's ever been body slammed, I'm sure. Yes. And that, Maybe. That, well, I'm not sure what that's worth. But, oh, right. no, I've been body slammed. Yes. Wh- Whiskey Miser wants a, a Garofalo Grappler cigar. Uh, you know, that brand was going to come out. It was all marketing. Really? It, it was all designed. Everything was ready way back. And Sam Lachia, remember Sam? Mm-hmm. That he came out with a brand, and he calls me up, and he says, you know, I know your past. He, he knew that I did the wrestling thing. And he said, I want you to know, w- want you to see this, what you think of it. And he showed it to me, and it was Luch- it? Luchador. Luchador. Mm. And I said, oh, my God. And uh, we're, we're on a video call. And I said, let me show you something. And I show it to him, and he sees the grapple, and he goes, oh, my God. <laughs> um, I had no idea. And it was turnbuckles on each side of the square box, and the box was the, was the ring. And uh, Your he- box was... Way cooler than his box. I, I don't think say. so. I his was it. professionally designed. Mine was an earlier yeah, but my box was better than your box. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he goes, oh, my God. The two of you can just stop right now with the double entendre giggling over here. <laughs> the, um, he, he had run into a lot of problems beforehand, and he down and out. And I said, you know what? Go for it. Do it. And uh, I'll, st- I'll step back. And... Uh, Maybe someday, who knows? Because FDA has changed. We can get a little into that later on too. That uh, people can come out with brands. It's okay. Um, but um, today we're going to go back in history, not forward. We're going to go way back. But first, let's uh, light up the first cigar of the day, Barry. What do we have here? Well, today's first cigar is the Brickhouse Double Connecticut, and it's manufactured in Nicaragua by J.C. Newman. The size is a six and a quarter by sixty, called the Mighty Mighty, and it features a genuine USA Connecticut wrapper with a binder that's a genuine USA Connecticut broadleaf. The fill is Nicaraguan. It is part of the Cigar Authority care package. The single will set you back $8.19, while a box of 25 is $179.99, which comes out to just $7.19 per cigar. That's a savings of $25 or 12% off the box price on twoguyscigars.com. If you're too far away from a brick-and-mortar retailer that carries it, go to twoguyscigars.com. That's the number two, guyscigars.com. I get it. Because you have two different Connecticut's on there, that's why it's double Connecticut. I'm glad. I'm glad someone understood what we're trying to, <laughs> to, to do. It's marketing, it's, and, and still a good value. It's time to cut our cigar. The official cutting brought to you by Perdomo Cigars. Perdomo was the brand. While all other brands were raising prices, Perdomo cut out the federal S chip tax and actually lowered them. Perdomo Cigars. They stand for quality, tradition, and excellence. Excellence. And the cold drawer is sweet molasses. Sweet molasses. As opposed to the bitter molasses yeah. that we hear so much about on the radio? Basically. So, Eric, you, you went through that tasting um, thing with Nick Cutro, the book, because you were mentioned in the book, uh, Nick Cutro's. Yes. Um, and then you start tasting the flavor notes that maybe you never tasted before. You learned how to taste the cigar. I need for Nick Cutro, I go way back. Yeah. His, fa- his uncle was my sixth grade school wow. teacher. <laughs> Goes back a long way. You know, when Scarfist and Nano first came out and they started talking about cigars that had a taste of caramel or molasses or, yeah. or tutti fruity, I said, they're full of it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Nick showed me how to uh, un- uh, unleash my, my palate, and yeah. I'm not as good as these guys here on either side of me. 
But it's it's some of the nuances of cigars, kind of like kind of like wines. Yes. It really makes it interesting. And yeah. no two cigars are, are alike, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you're looking for Nick's book, what's it called again? Cigar Bliss. Cigar Bliss. Uh, find that and learn. Go through it, and uh, you you'll know that we're not full of shit, or we don't know what the hell we're talking about when it comes to these flavor notes. That they're, they're really there. I mean, I guess we could be a little full of shit. There we go. Let's light. You know what's not full of shit? This lighter. This is the Vertigo Sickle. Features single action, two jets angled for pinpoint accuracy. Those jets are fueled by the patented Vertigo big ass tank. But there's more. On the back side, you have a full size flip out lock in place 64 ring gauge cutter, guillotine style, along with a tray to catch all the schmuckus that comes off the cigar. And you just dump it into your ashtray. And then the cutter locks in place at the bottom, all for the low price of $29.99. This lighter that is flying. Vertigo Sickle. Now I have is, a new favorite lighter. Is the back side your favorite side of that lighter? Or? I don't know how to answer that. Okay. So, personal, um, personal question, uh, Barry. <laughs> yeah, well, we're done with those personal questions. That was last week. Yes. Have you uh, ever seen a psychiatrist? Oh, wait a minute. Wrong show. <laughs> <laughs> ah, and there, there was another one. If you caught the Ashos, we're getting a lot of shit on that, uh, too. Well, so, you are. Yes. Yeah, it was really you. Yeah. I got a phone call about you this week. <laughs> For what? The Asshole Show? Or? The Assholes and how you allowed last week's show to go off on the, yeah. the big show here. Well, now we're back to cigars, and we're back to history. And he, history is history, so you can't screw with that. Although we're talking about that earlier today, a lot of people are racing history. But uh, we'll see what I have here today on this subject. Um, so let's get to it. The cigars that built America. Um, and, oh, before I do that... I thought I'd have it here, and I don't. Maybe on the break, I'll bring some out. Uh, Ron dropped off a case of Manhattan Special. A long time ago on the show, I talked about this soda that oh, yeah. is in Manhattan, New York. And this, this gentleman comes in one day, and um, he's sitting down there, and Jonathan says, oh, he wants to meet you, come over and talk to him. And then he brings up, it was a long time ago that I mentioned it, mm-hmm. and he said, you know I left the house and I left a case of Manhattan special that I was taking here for you. Uh, and I said, well, next time you ever come down, don't worry about it. Thank you for thinking of me. Well, he packed it up and he shipped it to me. So I have it here. Anyway. That was so, years ago. I years think. ago. <laughs> Two cases, it's amazing. They changed the label and everything. Yes, it looks very different than it did. Yeah. It was a smaller bottle before. It was little, like a six ounce. Yeah, something. I didn't really put the bottle in my hand. Yeah. Did, break. I'll did you on. try it? Does it I didn't. This? I, I, you I'm haven't? Gonna, nope. I have oh. it in the refrigerator uh, there, right in the back there. So is there any sugar in it? Oh, I'm Yeah, sure. you can't have any. It's lectin, I'm out. It's lectin-free. I'm out. There are nutrients in it. Yeah, I'm not even going to offer you any because, Thank God forbid, God. you'd love it, too. You'd love it. <laughs> uh, they make a diet version, but I don't want to eat. No. No. I'm well, not eating that either. Mm. Okay, today... Let's uh, talk, uh, we're going to talk about your cigars, we're smoking one of them now, but we'll get into your cigars later, uh, because your family been making cigars since 1895, we're starting um, 127 years before that, and um, we're, we're going to the cigars that built America, we're going back to 1770. How many cigars a day did you smoke back in 1770 at he, Sullivan? I, I was, smoked fewer of them back in the 70s. 
Eric was in grade school, so he wasn't smoking cigars yet. <laughs> wow, throwing shade right out of the gate. 19... 1770? I was very young. You yeah, know. very young. Um, so the first unbranded cigar itself, commercially sold, arrived in America in 1770. Unadvertised, no brand to it, when Israel Putnam, an American general of the Revolutionary War, returned from Cuba... Uh, where he had been an officer in the British Army. He came back to his home in Connecticut with a selection of cigars that were made in Havana and a large amount of Cuban tobacco. Am I telling you something you don't know? Yes, you are. Really? Okay. That when we get you into the 1800s, you're going to take over, but <laughs> I went back before your time. That makes you the cigar authority because you just learned mm-hmm. something. There we go. Um, in 1770, cigar smokers began to catch on in New England. The major North American port cities is where the cigars caught on first. Cigars were cheap and almost entirely um, homemade paste cigars. So do you know what a paste cigar was? Paste. P-A-S-T-E. Paste cigar. No? Nope. Uh, they were wrapped. Did it taste minty? <laughs> nope. They were called that because the wrapper was glued to keep it unraveling. So they made a paste like when we were kids to actually wrap the cigar in this paste that mm-hmm. went. And they uh, were generally rolled by farm wives. Cigars were sold by their husbands or traded to local merchants or Yankee Wagoneer uh, peddlers known as Constogie. Oh. And this is where Stogie mm-hmm. comes out, right? So we're in 1770. And the first tobacco shop in America opens in 1770 also. Two guys? No. (laughs) William DeMuth opens a tobacco shop at 114 East King Street in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 1770. And selling cigars, all unbranded. And you know when they closed? 2010. Really? Holy crap. Did at least run out? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> they should have bought the property. Yeah. That's it. Imagine that. They, they just closed 12 years ago. So what a shame that that, that ended up happening. Um, so just amazing of that. Now, I'm telling you, all cigars at that time um, came, no band on them, no name associated with them. It was just you went into the store and you bought cigars. You got good cigars and you got bad cigars, but there was no name. You'd look at the the look at it as yeah, you a, weren't as, you weren't shopping for a brand there was no brand yes it was just, rolled up tobacco leaves. yeah and i want some of those you got to wonder if they could recognize the way they were rolled and maybe recognize you know matilda made this i want the matilda ones or that they put them in the box and said these are matildas or whatever yeah. i don't know i don't want to smoke the helens or the karens yes. i want the matilda not the karens definitely yeah. not the karens yeah so overseas go to holland delft holland also, 1770. They're Big doing, year for cigars. They were also doing the same thing as un, unbanded, unnamed cigars until 1772. And in 1772, the place called Red Anchor decides to actually name their cigar. And they named it after their factory, which was Red Anchor. And the Red Anchor cigar comes out in 1772 in Holland. 
mm-hmm. but we're talking about America because somebody had asked a question to you, Ed, of when was the first uh, branded cigar? I think that was yeah. When were our premium cigars? Uh, when did they become commercial? Yeah, so here we are right now at that point that they commercially sold as cigars, but as a brand, seventeen seventy two, and that brand. When did they go out of business? Early 1900s, the factory burned down, and that was the end of it. I have all kinds of information on that. I, I should really keen in on that information because the Red Anchor Cigar, and I showed it to you at the trade show, is coming out um, again um, later this year, maybe as soon as next week, the week after. I mean, it's going to be that close. It's, it's on its way. Um, so the, the first rendition of that as, as the 250th anniversary of Red Anchor Cigars. But now we're into 1776. A lot of things happened in 1776 mm-hmm. in the United States. U.S. colonies declared independence from England. Tobacco growers were in debt to, to the British merchants. Taxes were very heavy, and tobacco helped finance the revolution. That's what hell yeah. Imagine that. So there's there's so much history in tobacco in the United States and that it had to do with funding of the Revolutionary War. Pay attention to this, because if the shit hits the fan in this country, I'm depending on you to finance the war. (laughs) You know, ironically, they put a tax on cigars to help finance the the Revolutionary War. Yeah. God bless them, they never took a tax off. They never (laughs) that once it's on, it's on there forever. As soon as this war is over, we're gonna stop. And that's what they say to a lot of things. It's like an iron-on patch on your jean jacket. So they needed money. So they got the money from France and they used the tobacco and the cigars as collateral Hmm. for French the French loans that they applied for. So Hang on a second. Hang on a second. So I got this humidor filled with cigars, and I'm going to use that as collateral, and you're going to just give me money. Give me money. And then I'll pay you back when I sell the cigars, or I got to keep the cigars. If you don't pay me, I'm taking the cigars, just Hmm. like you have collateral on your house. So those cigars belong to the bank now, or the tobacco, um, if you don't pay if you don't pay a loan, they want Hmm. that was collateral, which I would imagine to this day I've taken a lot of loans out. Oh, My imagine. cigars become collateral. Imagine. Mm. Imagine if you defaulted on that payment. I'd kill you. We'd be out of inventory. You know, you remember I bought, that's how, how the whole plus 90. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I buy this brand plus 90, which is wheels of unbanded cigars. Well, that was taken from a factory that had a fire outside the factory, and the insurance company ended up taking the cigars there was nothing wrong with the cigars they were not even in that area at all i bought all the cigars it was collateral to them right so um it's collateral it's, cigars are collateral so but not just all, for lighting on fire that's anymore. right that's not right. collateral damage either was no. it? you can finance some shit with these no and you you must know it from you bought your company from half of the family yep. back in the day um your tobacco was collateral Inventory was collateral. It's yeah. funny. The banks would use it. They would, uh, we borrow money. Always had to borrow money. They would like give you 75% uh, loan. They would, they would, they would loan up to 75% of, of the your, value. Of your value, yeah. And God forbid, it, and it worked out great that you were able to pay the loan off and, and have control of it, but they would end up with all right, hang on. So I got, I got, I got a finance question here. Yeah. We, we know 
we know where that went down. And obviously you're in cigar country at that point. So the insurance company comes in and says, we're taking all the cigars and we get how they could flush through that. Cause you could go to somebody and say, I got these cigars. What do you pay for? Yes. How do you do that? How does a bank unload cigars in the United States? If Eric defaults on his loan and they go in and they go, they, okay, they, we're taking all your inventory. They call key people and, and it's happened to one of your brands years ago that I was offered, not that it was yours, but the, a manufacturer of something you made ended up coming to me after the fact that I didn't buy, but it happens. It happens all the time, and those people in those countries where the tobacco is is going to go find the buyer for it, which most likely is in the United States. So far, the user of it. that's the most interesting tidbit we've ever had on the show, in ever. my opinion. In more, my opinion. More than the one downstairs earlier today that you said, now that's the best information. When you have Eric when you have Eric Newman in the house, you're going to hear stuff you never heard before. 100% true. Kind of like last week. I heard things I never heard before that's either. Right. That's same, right. Same, same, same in a deal. bad way. We won't be bad. repeating any of those. Um, 1779, John Jonathan Carver uh, recommended the British should plant tobacco in New England Um and in England, because of the harsh uh, plant New England tobacco in England, because of the harshness and strong taste, which English would prefer milder. So they wanted to start planting in England. The thing is, it didn't work out. I never heard that. But one of my grandfather's early brands was John Carver. Really? I never knew what the connection was. Oh. I'm a cigar authority today. <laughs> I'm learning. So it's still your brand then? Yes. But I think huh. I think we've uh, we've taken so many brands the olden days and recycled them and and uh, including the one we're smoking right now, Brickhouse. That's that's, that's true. right. You've done that a lot. That you bring back old brands, Diamond Crown, an old brand. I went into your museum before. I'd see all these cigars. Diamond Crown is a super premium cigar. It wasn't always super premium in 1900. My grandfather had it as a two cent cigar, ugly box, ugly label. Even Brickhouse, my grandfather was born the only Brickhouse in a little village in Hungary in 1875. And one of his first brands he came, he made in this country was, was Brickhouse. The brand died out in the 30s. We brought it back about 15 years ago. And I mean, Brickhouse is, that's a horrible name for a cigar. We had a lot of fighting with our, or with our marketing folks because cigars come out with special names. They're, they're Hispanic. They've got right. a lot of history. You know. Sexy, right? Yeah. Brickhouse, that is... That is uh, but it had to have helped because you got that brand El Wense, which took Dave <laughs> three years to be able to pronounce. Brickhouse, you know it right away. You hear it one time, you got it. And even with the connection of Mighty Mighty you know, from the song... Yeah. Very funny, by the way. Yes. <laughs> and But you, the American consumer knows that brand right on, on the tip of their tongue. Then we came out with new, uh, about 15 years ago, we came out with our first cigar made in, in Nicaragua, El Baton. That was a, a one of my grandfather's old brands. Yeah. That he brought it back out. We brought it back out of re- re- retirement. Had an old brand called Decision. We had yes. a brand called Don Jose. Alcazar. Alcazar was a famous racehorse many, many years ago. I carried all these brands. I am old. <laughs> <laughs> well, pretty, pretty, yes, you are. Yeah, pretty soon, you'll, uh, later on the show, you can talk about the graveyard for cigars. Yeah. You've seen a lot of cigars. There was over 100,000 brands of cigars Whoa. in this country at one time. Most of them are not here, but you're, you're, you're on. So John Carver 
played an important role, and you actually own the brand of it. Isn't that interesting that's there? So we're into 1781. Spanish king begins a 100-year-long monopoly of tobacco growing and cigar manufacturing in the Philippines, which is lifted in 1882. Philippine cigars, um, as they were not from Cuba, were by far the most popular in the U.S., and they wouldn't say they were from Philippines. They would say they were Cuban cigars, but they were Philippine cigars. So I'm going back to 1781, um, and in Europe and Asia, too. There were fake Cuban cigars in 1781. So Connor Finney has been around for a yes. long time. Is that what you're saying, Dave? on fire over here. <laughs> oh, God. These are my notes. I can't. I don't remember all these things. Um, 1783, cigars are being imported into the U.S. And the first place they went in the U.S. to import cigars was Boston um, from the West Indies. Earliest confirmed uh, commercial importing of cigars from the Caribbean, 1783. So before that, as I say, the, the housewives were making the cigars in there, and now we're importing into the U.S. 1796, most of the cigars smoked in U.S., come from the U.S., but um, the most cigars advertised in the U.S. claim to be Havanas, as they were not. This is the beginning of the fake Cuban cigars, as I mentioned. Now, we're still into 1796, wrapping up the 1700s. 725 ships enter the port of Boston. Boston principal exports are rum, beer, loaf sugar, whatever that is, rope, cords, sailcloth, playing cards, pots, pearl ashtrays, wallpaper, hats, silver plate, glass, and tobacco, and chocolate. So this is what's coming in at that time, and tobacco becomes a big thing coming in here. We're growing tobacco, but tobacco is coming from other places, so blending of tobacco is beginning in 1796. In 1797, the first independent cigar brand is established in Cuba. And nowhere in here are they talking about training rollers because you just said to your wife, here's some tobacco, make me cigars. <laughs> right. Tight draws, all kinds of bad <laughs> things must be happening, right? <laughs> um, so you look at Cuban cigars and you see 18 this, 18 that. But here it is, 1797, and there's a cigar in Cuba called Cabanas. Do you know that name? I never did. Wow. Founded by Francisco Cabanas, um, this cigar is the one that is outlawed. Remember I told you earlier that you're not allowed to make cigars in Cuba, that they wouldn't allow the cigars to be made there. So they're making a cigar in Cuba, and they're getting these bootleggers known as bandoleros to export these cigars to other countries and bring them into the United States. So that begins... Um, U.S. actually taking in Cuban cigars for the first time in 1797. So that takes us to the 1700s. Uh, we're going to go through the 1800s and the 1900s, but right now it's time to ask the Don from Don Raphael Cigars. It's time to ask the Don. Brought to you by Don Raphael Cigars. Don Rafael cigars are premium cigars, mellow and smooth, built for every man's 
Everyday Enjoyment Don Rafael Cigars Now, here is the question of the week. And the following message was submitted through the Contact Us page of thecigarauthority.com and Christopher writes, violation, question mark, question mark, question mark. Good morning, Cigar Authorities. First, let me tell you the Cigar Authority 12th anniversary weekend was incredible. Thank you to you and your staff for a first-rate weekend. Now I have a dilemma, and I need a coach's call. I've purchased the Care Package Prime for five years or so, and I'm very happy. Recently, my living situation has changed, so I can no longer smoke at home. This is a problem with winters in the Adirondacks. My only choice to enjoy Cigar Care Package cigars this upcoming winter will be a local brick and mortar. Before you say anything, Dave, just let me finish. (laughs) Sometimes you can purchase the cigars in the package from the store, but mostly not. What do I do? Can I talk to the owner and then buy a cigar and then smoke the care package cigar in the lounge? Do I pile up the cigar, the cigar authority care package cigar until the spring? Do you have other ideas? Just thinking ahead for the winter signed Chris. Invest in a Mr. Heater for your garage. Mr. Heater? Oh, I love my Mr. Heater. Yeah, it attaches to a propane tank. It's too round heat jets it kind of looks like johnny five from the movie short circuit uh it'll heat up a whole oh. garage over like a half hour i got the more deluxe one it's a separate unit that okay. you hook up maybe he doesn't have a garage he's in the adirondacks he probably has yeah. a garage because what i'd say if 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 you were stuck in that case is remove the band from the cigar go into the store buy a cigar and smoke your unbanded cigar because you don't want to be sitting in the in the lounge advertising the other cigar. That, that is a huge no-no. Right? Um, I, don't, I don't want you to smoke the cigar, period, in there. But now you got a dilemma. Here's the answer. Um, people have walked into our store and have a cigar going. Sure. And they're going to go in the lounge and they do the right thing. They buy a cigar. They're not going to throw the cigar out that they already lit. Um, and some of them are smart enough to take the band off because it's it's brand X and we don't even mm-hmm. have brand X. And then they're going to, you know, hey, what are you smoking there? How is it? It's good. Oh, where do you buy it? You know, you don't want that stuff happening either. So I'd say remove the band. Um, and it, it's an option anyway. I can't think of anything else. I didn't know about Mr. Heater. Interesting. Yeah, it heats up a nice space. Doesn't get it like super warm, but you'll stop seeing your breath. Yeah. yeah. Barry, some of the people go with these ice fishing tents now. Yeah, yeah that's with becoming very pretty popular. elaborate yep. setups I've seen. Okay, if you can go, if you can go sit out there and fish in the, under the ice and stay warm, you certainly can in your backyard. Right? People get the tent and heater. And There's a few of our listeners that do that. They've created a little uh, smoking igloo, so to speak. Yeah, man, I'll tell you, there is nothing better than just massive amounts of secondhand smoke while you're freezing your balls off. Yeah, I love it. Okay, <laughs> or you, you could be a man and smoke in your car. No, they have vents. You, you open the vent mm-hmm. and the smoke goes out. You could be a man and smoke in your house. He can't. And for if whatever it, and if you're smoking the cigar, it's not secondhand smoke. It's your smoke. It's firsthand. Mm. Firsthand. <laughs> there we go. Is there anything wrong with firsthand smoke? Nothing. You hear all this talk about secondhand <laughs> smoke, firsthand smoke. We're smoking the Brickhouse Mighty Mighty Connecticut, Connecticut wrapper, Connecticut broadleaf. Everybody talks about broadleaf, very, very hard to get. You're using it as a binder. You guys okay with getting broadleaf? It's hard to get. Okay. The binder's easier to get. The wrapper, okay. the wrapper is, is, is difficult. The Connecticut broadleaf, Connecticut's been growing tobacco for centuries. 
uh, here in Massachusetts, Massachusetts too. I think half the Connecticut broadleaf comes from Massachusetts. Mm. Most people don't know about right. it, but, but the business is is on tobacco on broadleaf is doing great. Um, unfortunately, there's uh, some other brands, mass market brands like Backwoods, that yeah. they, they buy up all the broadleaf, and uh, certain element of, of folks buy the buy some of these cigars. They undo the cigar and put other stuff in them. Mm. So broadleaf is really hard to get. The demand exceeds the supply, and but on we but the binder is not is that not that difficult to get because you have to have the big leaves with foolish smolts. Uh, for for the wrapper, yes. But unfortunately, all tobacco doesn't end up as wrappers, so they have to find a home to put the other tobaccos that don't make the cut, don't aren't graded correctly, or aren't uh, aren't maybe have holes in it. Or, yeah. So it's good for the binder. Same taste, but it uses uses binder. And it's a very thick leaf, so I would imagine it has good holding properties. And it's smart to use that as a binder when you have such a thin Connecticut shade on the outside. And also broadleaf is used for Maduro. I think. I bet uh, three quarters of the Maduro cigars you have downstairs yes. are made with Connecticut broadleaf. But as uh, Mr. Jonathan was saying, you have to have a, a tobacco with a lot of schmaltz because in order to get it dark, you have to put in piles, get it wet, yep. and thrust out the fermentation process. And when you and the uh, water acts as a catalyst, and, and all the you ever in a factory where they're making where they're processing Maduro cigars, you'll you'll smell a lot of uh, ammonia. And it's part of it's in all tobacco. Sure, but you you process it in, in the ammonia leaves, kind of like a compost pile. You're right, the ammonia leaves and, and all the, the a lot of the nicotine leaves it, and it left the smoother tasting tobacco. That's why Maduro cigars. I know you talked about this uh, show or two ago. I listen. Uh, Maduro cigars aren't strong because yes, you have all the harshness sweet. of the tobacco, yeah. especially Connecticut broadleaf, uh, is the number one uh, um, uh, cigars number number one tobacco for Maduro. Right. And I like it as a binder because the flavor is still there. And honestly, broadleaf is kind of ugly looking. You know, it's hard to get beautiful broadleaf, uh, especially it's in short supply of it. So you put it as a binder and there's the flavor in it too. Uh, with, with a Connecticut, it's so subtle to begin with anyway. Uh, it's a good taste. Yeah. It, it's, it's a Connecticut with lots of flavor. I'm telling you, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. kind of off Connecticut shade, but this. Really, you're getting the sweetness. It tastes like it's a Maduro cigar. Absolutely. Because it is. All right, let's go to break. And when we come back, it's the night, it's the 1800s. And the first cigar brand in America, uh, beginning in the beginning of the J.C. Newman Cigar Company and its first brands. We're talking about cigar brands that built America with Eric Newman from J.C. Newman, the oldest cigar factory in America. We're live at the Toscano Cigar Soundstage. And you're listening to The Cigar Authority on the United Podcast Network. Romeo y Julieta Reserva Real Nicaragua, the Nicaraguan expression of America's beloved brand, Reserva Real. Reserva Real Nicaragua is a Nicaraguan puro, meticulously blended by Rafael Nodal and made by A.J. Fernandez. The Reserva Real Nicaragua will take Romeo lovers and Romeo novices alike on a journey through premium Nicaraguan tobaccos. Reserva Real Nicaragua. It'll steal your heart again. Surgeon General warning, cigar smoking can cause lung cancer and heart disease. 
It's an exquisite day here at the Jensen Estate patio overlooking the 13th green. And we're underway. Jim Jensen has chosen his favorite stick. The Diamond Crown Number no. 4 by J.C. Newman. See the way he holds the cigar, Tom? Mm-hmm. Excellent balance and heft. Ooh, he's eyeing the silky Connecticut Shade Wrapper. Fermented twice for the smoothest, richest flavor. And hand-rolled by the Fuente family with a blend of six to seven distinct Dominican and Caribbean basin tobacco leaves. Each lovingly aged for at least five years. Oh, now Jensen's lighting up the Diamond Crown. He's got a precision burn, Tom. Mm, those highly complex flavors with hints of dark chocolate really deliver, Bill. Yes, like all cigars in J.C. Newman's premium Diamond Crown line. That'd be the highly rated Maximus and the Julius Caesar. Ah, now Jensen's settling in, rolling the rich smoke through his nose. Look at the satisfaction on his face, Bill. Oh, a thing of beauty, Tom. Experience the premium Diamond Crown brand by J.C. Newman at select retailers or Diamond Crown Lounge near you. Find us on Facebook at J.C. Newman Cigar Co., or visit diamondcrown.com. I want to talk to you today about my friend Glenn Case from Christoph Cigars. I've known him for many years. Glenn is a very nice guy, one of the nicest guys in the industry. Always friendly, always happy. So when I heard his brand Christoph was pissed off, I was surprised. Christoph Cigars have always been known as smooth and rich, and the pissed off Christoph is just that. But there's something else happening here. A natural San Andreas wrapper, the binder, Indonesian, and the filler, Nicaraguan. And like Glenn Case, the cigar starts off sweet, but then it gets pissed off. And like Bruce Banner, you don't want to piss off Glenn Case about Christoph cigars. Or do you? Expect some spins and a nicotine kick. Strap yourself in for a ride. Pissed off Christoph is deceivingly strong. You've been warned. Sold in 10-count boxes, four sizes including Churchill, 6x60, Robusto, and Corona Gorda. The hottest new brand is the pissed-off Kristoff. Take it for a ride. Since 1964, Padron Cigars have had the same mission. With over 50 years spent to create a perfect cigar, and more than 100 years to create a perfect legacy, the Padron family understands the significance of time. Padron delivers only the finest handmade complex cigars with the flavor of the Cuban heritage, out of which the Padron recipe was born. The Padron mission is simple, exceptional quality of their cigars and not quantity produced as a vertically integrated family-owned company. Personal attention to every detail is taken in all steps of the tobacco growing and cigar making process. Padron Cigars, they give you, the cigar smoker, the confidence that each cigar is the same. Perfect. Padron Cigars, handcrafted since 1964. This is Terrence Riley from Aganor Salif, and you are listening to the Cigar Authority on the United Podcast Network. And we're back. We're smoking the Brickhouse Mighty Mighty Connecticut, talking about the cigars that built America with who else? Eric Newman from J.C. Newman Cigar Company. They are America's oldest running cigar factory. Welcome back, everybody. Mighty Mighty Connecticut, burning good, tasting mm. good, price is good. You got a winner. And you make it yourself in your own factory in, fact- in Pins, the J.C. with Pins in Esteli. Yeah, yep. I've never got to uh, got to see it, but hopefully next time so, I go to Nicaragua. Eric, you're not just having your wife make them in the farmhouse. You've got a real factory. Matilda isn't around anymore. <laughs> right. Matilda has left the building. 
So let's go to the 1800s now. We're talking about the cigars that built America. The uh, first branded name cigar in America comes in legally, because I told you about Cabanas, which Cabanas uh, was illegally doing it and, you know, having somebody else slip these in. But poor Laranaga mm. comes into the United States in 1834 as the first legal Cuban cigar, meaning legal for it to be imported into the United States. Remember poor Laranaga? Back in the TAA days, right? That's it. It was a TAA. Exclusive. Exclusive, right. And a lot of history between that brand. Is that still out there? I was going to ask you. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen, I, seen it. I used to smoke the Cuban ones. They made a nice half Corona, and you'd get cabinets of 50. And they don't make that anymore. I don't know if Some they're still doing Some of these things end up dissing yeah. away. John Carver's gone, but it, it's still owned well, by somebody. Maybe we'll bring it back one day. Bring it back Ca- have a limited release. The Cabana- you don't do limited releases, though. Not too much. Yeah. The Cabanas came back as a Cuban cigar, but a machine made, and then went away again. Yeah. They were, they were calling Cuban cigars, not Cuban cigars. They called them Cabanas. Mm. And then Cubana, that's where the brand... Oh, no kidding. Yeah, that's how it happened, mispronouncing it, basically. So, second cigar that comes into the U.S. is Punch, 1840. Still out there today. Named after a puppet, a children's puppet, is Punch. A hideous puppet. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Lots of talk about marketing to children and stuff. Well, this might have been the first one. There is nothing scarier than answering a call at 3 o'clock in the morning. You got to come in and check and make sure there's no one looting the store. And you go down in the basement, and that fucking Punch is right there. and scares the shit out of me every time. Uh, Also, cigars were then sold in candy stores almost exclusively. So, you know, they're talking about, you know, today you can't even be, you got to be 21 to even Mm -hmm. walk into a cigar store. Uh, Candy stores, which were for children, were the only place to buy cigars back in those days, almost exclusively. And they would end up uh, creating boxes of cigars from the empty candy boxes Mm. and then loading the cigars in the empty candy boxes when somebody made it. So that's a box of cigars was a candy box. That's interesting. Isn't this weird that... And then people awesome. talk about the, the, the packaging things that happen, but you go back in history and find these things out and say, yeah, we've been doing it for 200 years. And we take for granted that a cigar comes in a box. Yes. Um, United Cigars uh, got a pushback from the cigar bar. And here, you know, just going back, looking at historically, the historical packaging of cigars, of how it happened. But next came H. Upman. And H. Upman becomes the first cigar in a box. The, the box itself, the first box of cigars that you would buy a box of cigars was H. Upman. Actually packaged, ready to go, and a person would buy a whole box of cigars. And that was the H. Upman brand in um, 1840. Which is why they had, it says 1840 on the Correct. The band. Uh, followed by Monte Cristo and Byron. They get imported... Uh, also uh, from Cuba, and, and that becomes the... Which, Byron, is important because that's the very first time that you have a lithographed cigar band yes. on a cigar. Yes. So it wasn't until 1840 when the first cigar brand uh, was made in the U.S. commercially. The first U.S. brand to now have a brand name that's made in the United States. Which brand is that? Marsh Wheeling? Yes! 
Wow. Marsh Wheeling. See, now I'm getting into your time, so now I'm going to tell you nothing you don't know. Because He was, he was born by that, right? Yes. And their famous friend was the Stogie, Marsh Wheeling Stogie. That's right. We made in Wheeling, West Virginia. Yep. That is the first one. Uh, it is the Stogie Factory, Wheeling, West Virginia, longest-running brand, still exists, um, sold under the Topper brand today. Mm-hmm. The Topper controls that being Chris Topper in Connecticut. There I was at the trade show, and there it was, and I said, oh, my God. And he says, you want a cigar? And I said, I want a Marsh Wheeling, <laughs> just for the hell of it. An ugly-looking cigar, but that's how they were, right? Stogies. That was the original Stogie. Saw a report today on... Um, the American Stogie, there's a brand called American Stogie, and it finally made its way through Trademark. And the problem with American Stogie was it says American on it, and it's made in Nicaragua. Uh-huh. And the, the USPTO says, no, it's false advertising uh-huh. of it. But it's dealing with the history of the American Stogie, and it actually made its way through. Frank Herrera actually got it through. So just reading a story on that today. But we have American flags that are made in China. That's okay. Yes. You can't have an American cigar made. But it doesn't say it. You know, it it says American Stogie on the band that's not made in America. There was lots of problems with brands that had the word Cuba on it, and then there was big lawsuits that happened. It's not really from Cuba or Cuban. He makes a good point. Ah, Central America. Central America. Still maybe, America. Maybe that's how we I got it I don't know. Going to have to ask Did Frank. you have any trademark issues getting the American no, actually, pushed the, through? No. The, uh, interesting enough, and you'll see when you come down to see us, visit your sister in, in Tampa, and part of our new museum, the first cigar brand made in our factory, we didn't own the fact that Regensburg's owner in 1910 was the American. Hmm. And in fact, there's a, we have a picture in our museum with the American banner was on top of the factory. And it wasn't American cigars, probably Cuban leaf, but it was a, American was a popular brand then. So maybe the, uh, the Regensburgs didn't have an issue with the trademark office back in 1910, calling a cigar an American when it wasn't totally American t- t- tobacco. But it is mm. now. It is now. Yep. Everything's American. The paper, the box, everything. As my son, my son Drew's idea to make it ever, everything American and American filler, American binder, American wrapper, American boxes, American hinges. bands. And <laughs> hinges, too. In fact, I, I told Drew on the American, you know, we could buy the box. The boxes we have to get from Miami, they cost $20 a piece. I said, Drew, we get the same box made in, in Nicaragua for $5. Let's do it. Dad, you can't do that. It wouldn't be true. But, but you say $15 a box. Dad, we can't do it. So the American today is all American versus back was in He actually stood up to you and said, this is the what this is... The- that's awesome. He has a lot of his mother in him. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, no problem in him. So um, he can make cigars? Mifflin no, M. Yeah. Mifflin M. Marsh, 22-year-old, began making cigars at his home and sold them on the streets. Marsh came up with the idea of free tasting. This is the first marketing, real marketing of cigars, where he would hand out the cigars at the riverboat, to the riverboat captains and wagon drivers and to their passengers. Uh, the cigars went national. That's how he was able to get, because everything was pretty localized at that point. But going to the riverboat, these guys are going to go different places. Sure. So he hand out the cigars to them, and then it goes there, and then they say they ended up wanting his um, uh, Mifflin cigars. Remember that brand? M. Mifflin? No? No. No? no. I carried them. I carried them. With the FDA rules, you couldn't 
uh, approach marketing like that anymore. No, you not now. But no. he was the first one to actually do it of any product. But if you think about it, it that, that, it's such a smart play because, of course, you're going to like a cigar better that was given to you. Mm. You've <laughs> never taken a cigar from somebody and said, oh, this tastes like shit. I have. <laughs> <laughs> I digress. Please continue, Dave. So his, his cigars went national. Some of his customers included Abe Lincoln, Ulysses S. Grant, P.T. Bottom, and Annie Oakley. Wow. Remember all those people? Those were the customers of <laughs> M, uh, M. Mifflin Cigars, which we carried during the cigar boom. I remember mm. that. Um, so uh, back to the box. We're in 1863 now, and packaging of the cigars in boxes became mandatory. Now you couldn't sell it any other way but a box because we have, we're talking taxation yeah. now, right? 25 count, 50, 100, 250, or 500. Those mm. are the ways you could buy cigars. The material used for uh, box making were regulated as well. Only cigar boxes made of glass or wood were permitted. But in 1878, the law has been relaxed to allow novelty stogie packaging. Then they let, let you do some crazy packaging and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it, I'm, I'm a student of, of the marketing stuff anyway and looking into this of some of the crazy stuff they came oh, out yeah. with uh, back 1863 of uh, doing this. By 1878, when, when the uh, crazy stuff ended up coming up. Chief, what's up? Um, since then, uh, creativity um, has reigned in the cigar industry. That's when stuff starts getting very creative, and the big boom starts with cigars, <laughs> resulting in boxes made of cardboard, plastic, metals, such as aluminum, brass, ceramic, leather, combinations, all kinds of things end up happening sure. in those days. And then... We're in 1895, and the stuff is going to start getting familiar to you in a big way. Cleveland, Ohio, of all places. J.C. Newman created a cigar table from old boards, borrowed $50 of tobacco, and received his first order for $500, 500 cigars from a family grocer. What happened there? Back in those days, the women there was no electricity. Women would go to the grocery store every day. So uh, my... Uh, because there was no, no, no refrigeration. So my great-grandmother tells the grocer, I buy all my groceries from you. How about buying cigars from my son? So you're right. My grandfather uh, was an was a apprentice cigar maker back in 1890 when business formed himself in 1895. There was a big recession in Cleveland laid off all the cigar makers in 1894. And uh, my grandfather was sitting around home one day, 20 years old, and his mother comes home with an order for 500 cigars. My grandfather was a great talker. He gets an order for 2,500 cigars from a local saloon. Then he gets an order for 10,000 cigars from wow. Cleveland's largest wholesale grocer. Mm -hmm. He couldn't make them all himself. So he gets some of his other buddies to come work for him in May of 1895. 20 years old, five employees. You know, life is great. But, you know, when my grandfather started, there were 42,000 licensed cigar manufacturers <laughs> in the United States. You have to have a license to make cigars then, like you do now. Why? To pay federal excise taxes. Right. And of those 42,000 cigar manufacturers back in 1895, we're the only one left that's still owned and operated wow. by the founding family. Been ups and downs. Not, not only you're the only one left, but you're operating by the founding family. That is just remarkable. So I'll tell you a quick story. When Cusano cigars started, 
he was a customer and he was buying us cigars, but he went to the Dominican Republic, hooked up with Hanky Kellner, brought me some samples, said, what do you think? And I said, wow, these are unbelievable for that kind of money. Uh, how many boxes of cigars are you going to make? And he said, 300. How many do you want? I said, all of them. So I bought 300 boxes. Fast forward a couple months later, he said, how are they going? I said, they're going really good. He says, I'm going to do another run of 300. How many do you want? And I said, all of them. He goes, that's it. I'm in the cigar business. <laughs> Was any of those cigars Lanceros? By, by, None. By the way. None. <laughs> None. So you sold them all. So I, and then he got into the business. So, so your, your great-grandfather, 500, and said, that's it. We're in. And then it's thousands of boxes. Um, and all those people were laid off. So that's to, to understand there's a lot of people in the cigar industry right now that got into the cigar business in 1997 when the boom crashed. And they made it through the terrible time and then ended up going really good. And that's pretty much what happened with your great-grandfather that when everybody was being laid off, he began his company. Grandfather. Grandfather. Grand, regular grandfather. He did. Yeah. yeah. Was, I'm sure he was great, though. He thought he was. He was great. <laughs> he, he was great. So, J.C. Newman's first cigar brand called ABC. Akron, Akron Bedford, and Canton. For Canton, Ohio. That was his okay. first, first brand. And he came, <coughs> came to this. He had other brand. He had a brand called Dr. Nickel. Dr. Nickel. And he, we still have a couple of those boxes, just not with, with, not with the original cigars. But his uh, phrase on, on the box said, one after each meal or oftener if de desired. It was signed doc <laughs> Dr. Nickel. We had no idea who Dr. Nickel was, but it was probably not endorsed by the uh, American Medical <laughs> no. Association. Should be. Were, were they a nickel? Uh, spelled different, differently, N-I-C-H-O-L. Okay. But in those days, cigars, this is the good five-cent cigar days, right? Probably be before then. Okay. Could it might have been two for a nickel or something like that. Fact is, you're talking about uh, you know two for a nickel, and Brickhouse in our in our museum, uh, we have one of the original Brickhouse labels, <coughs> and it was indeed two for a nickel. Two selling for Brickhouse two for a nickel. Those were the good old days. Yeah, not like that anymore. Right. So uh, that went on for a while. Then came Tampa. Um, Vincent Ebor moved his cigar-making operation from Key West to Tampa, Florida, 1886, and newly opened the Sanchez Haya Cigar Company on 7th Avenue and becomes the first place in the Ybor City to roll cigars. Vincent Martin, there was a uh, cigar industry, came from Cuba to uh, uh, Key West, probably like in the 1870s, this big Cuban revolution. They moved to Key West in the mid-1880s. They had labor problems in Key West, so all the scar barons were looking to get, get, out of, get out of Dodge, looking to go somewhere. They were looking for some place that was close to Cuba, some place that had a, a big port yes. to bring tobacco in, some place that had a railroad line into New York, which was the big market for, for cigars back in those days. And also had a chamber of commerce that, that really wanted it. We had a, a, a border trade back in Tampa in, in those days, but also looking for some place that, that had this climate that's similar to Cuba. In Cuba and in Key West in Tampa, it is hot and humid. Ten months out of the year, we live in a natural humidor, so the climate was perfect for making cigars in Tampa. With the humidity, you've been down Tampa, yes. and at that time, in ten months out of the year, it's hot and it's humid. It's good for the tobacco, good for the cigars, hard on the people, but uh, the industry, um, and Vincent Martinez de Boer was a genius. 
more than a cigar maker, he was a real estate uh, mogul. He offered free uh, leases for any cigar company for 10 years, any cigar company that moved their operation to Tampa, <coughs> as long as he had the right to um, rent housing to all the cigar makers. And, and one by one, Tampa's got as much as 150 factories in one day. You're talking about Sanchez and Haya. Interesting. A lot of uh, cigar factories back in those days had boarding houses. And one such was uh, Sanchez and Haya. Across the street uh, is a, the original Sanchez and Haya real estate office. And it, it was a boarding house. And as we're looking to expand by property around our factory, as we become a public facility, we're looking for, for land. So we end up having to buy, and you'll see it in Tampa, this old boarding house. This has Sanchez and Haya real estate company on it. And it, uh, we, we bring people, a lot of visitors in our factory say it's walking back in time because we're making cigars in our factory in Tampa on antique cigar machines my grandfather bought in the 1930s and also making cigars by hand like my grandfather made them in 1895. You're walking back in time. But if you really want to uh, walk back in time, go to the Sanchez and Hyatt building across the street and it, it, it hasn't been fixed up in 100 years. During the, during the prohibition, they had shootouts, they had the mafia there all kind of drugs smuggling there. In fact, we bought the factory. We bought this, the old real estate office, boarding house. It has uh, 10,000 bats. Yeah. So we're trying to get rid of the bats, and we, you just can't get rid of bats. You got, it's not that they're, easy, They're right? so we're yeah. setting up a bat park across the street. So when you're in... Uh, you ever thought about baseballs? Well, <laughs> you know, it, it kind of entered, not to digress completely, but uh, we're big Tampa Bay Ray fans, and, and we're their oldest advertiser, oldest sponsor, except for Tropicana Orange Juice, who paid a lot more money than we did. We had the Quest to Ray Cigar Bar there until they kicked us out about five years ago. But Tampa doesn't really support the Rays like, like we should. In fact, so much so, the owner was looking to uh, have a split season, have half a season in Montreal. Wow. In, in, during, during, during the rainy season, which is uh, June, July, and August, and but start the first part of the season in, in Tampa, and they were, it's never they, been done before, right? It never has. No. So much so, Major League Baseball nicks the idea. But they have plans to build a baseball stadium about half a mile from our factory in Tampa. And we said, you can get bats there, as Mr. Jonathan was yeah. saying. You get bats in our, in our uh, right. new uh, boarding house. That wow. Wow. That is so interesting that the guy buys all the property around it and lets the businesses come there for free because they're going to bring people that have to live. Right. And genius, right? Genius Brilliant. move. And that begins the whole uh, Ebor City living and restaurants open. And he built an economy is actually what happened. And we had a lot. We have immigrants. We had uh, the Cubans came in. The Italians came in. The Spaniards came in. It was a real melting pot. Yeah. So we had a real immigrant community. And every nationality, every ethnic group had their own, their own clubs. So it was before their HMOs were around. There still today Cuban clubs, Italian clubs, the, the Spanish club, and that was the backbone of uh, the whole Cuban society, of the whole cigar society back around the turn of the century, the first yeah. century, nineteen hundred. And these, from from this point on, this is when you're learning what you're going to learn if they come visit your factory and go for a tour here is Ybor City and your factory and, and what, what has happened um, for cigar manufacturing in Tampa. Tampa one time had 150 cigar factories making as many as 500 million cigars by hand a year in the 1930s. And we moved from Cleveland to Tampa in 1954. There's still, 
still 10 big family-owned companies making Cuban cigars out of Cuban filler, Cuban binder, Cuban wrapper. And life was pretty good until the uh, embargo came. And right. Cuban embargo came in 1962. And one by one, these other factories uh, moved offshore, sold to northern companies, or just closed their doors all t together. Two years ago was a 125th year in business. It was my Drew's son, Drew's idea is to is, uh, turn ourselves into a, a tourist attraction. You know, for our birthday present, 125 years, people want to give you presents. But instead, my son said, let's give a birthday gift to the c c community to feature, showcase cigars in Tampa, showcase its, its history. And we've, uh, you know, Tampa, one time, you know, cigars were to Tampa, what Mickey Mouse is to Orlando, what automobiles sure. are to Detroit, what wine is to Napa Valley. This is what really made Tampa, you know, special and unique. In fact, if even today, if you know families that have been there for five or six generations, chances are their families worked in the cigar worked. industry. Those were the only jobs around. Your, your, was it your dad or your grandfather when the embargo hit, he saved a bale of Cuban tobacco that, so that he could always say that, you had Cuban Cuba tobacco. Had a, Cuba tobacco was always popular. It had a buzzword then like it does now. When the embargo came in January 1962, there was panic in the streets, and all the Tampa factories started eating in their inventory of Cuban tobacco. One of our competitors, Garcia Vega, yes. used to be a long filler cigar, used to sell long sure. filler uh, Garcia Vegas. They used to put on their boxes. They said, yes, we still have Havana. My father got nervous. He get one bill from the 1958 Pinar de Rio crop. So anybody ever asked him, Stanford, do you have a Cuban tobacco like Garcia Vega does? Said, of course we do. We still have that same bill yes. in, our, in our museum. So you still have it. We still have it. Okay, right now it's time for the poll question of the week, and it's brought to you by Victus and Clear Cigars. And each week you can head over to the thecigarauthority.com and cast your vote where we pit various items versus each other. This week, we said if you were forced to remove one Oscar-winning movie from existence, which would it be? Dave actually voted. Uh, the choices were Braveheart, Forrest Gump, Silence of the Lambs, Platoon, and Rocky. Braveheart. For Forrest Gump's gone. It was great. I hated it. It's not. The, it's going to be Braveheart, right? Well, Braveheart got the least amount of votes. Really? Yep. I've never seen it. Platoon was the second least. Forrest Gump. Silence of the Lambs and Rocky was voted off the island. Oh, how oh, yeah. <laughs> By one percentage point. Really? We got a lot of people that don't like the sports. So Rocky and who's second then? Uh, Silence of the Lambs. So almost a, almost a, two great movies. Are you yeah. kidding me? Braveheart would be the correct answer. Yes, I would think so. Hey, next week um, on the Cigar Authority, I purposely kept you out of this uh, because it's the Cigar Industry Graveyard. We're talking next mm. week. And uh, whatever happened to these brands that uh, died, or at least I think they died, and apologies in advance if these, some of these brands are still around, I just didn't know it, um, but um, you've seen them come and go, like you said, hundreds of them uh, in Tampa alone, uh, but some of them that people are going to recall these brands if they've been smoking cigars for a little while, whatever happened to them. The following week, we have... Um, uh, E.P. Carrillo Cigars, uh, Lisette Carrillo is joining us, and uh, we're going to talk to her about her dad and her life in the cigar business, and uh, glad to have her on board. Uh, that'll be uh, the following week. So um, final thoughts here, on, and there's plenty more I, to go. I got, I got one question I want to ask, yeah. Eric. I know we're running long here. Does 
the J.C. Newman Company, have you ever had any interest in the acquisition of the other brands that have kind of gone by the wayside? Was it, Did anything ever catch your eye? Have you ever made a purchase like that, or is, there, is it on your radar at all? Not really, but it was kind of interesting. The way cigar manufacturers, like my grandfather, expanded their, their business, 100,000 brands at one time in the United States, and when a brand got went out of business, cigar manufacturers like my grandfather or a bunch of others would buy out these old brands, buy out the labels. That's where they were maintaining their volume of business by, by just buying old labels, old, old brands. But we, we have our hands full right where we are, though. So okay. we shouldn't include you in the mergers and acquisition uh, episode coming up. I tell you, I listened. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's one of my favorite episodes on the Scar uh, Authority, just yeah. to see, uh, um, you know, who's 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 in the acquisition mold, who's selling yeah. mold. I mean, you got to It's show. all guesses, but, you know, I, hearing that, I hear you saying that. So I would say that you're not looking to acquire anybody. I try to remember that. Well, and he's saying that, because, but he could have a gag order. We don't know. Yeah. He could possibly not be able to say it. Some, you know, when I go to a trade show, and the next thing you know, I, I see you hanging around a certain person all the time during the thing, and I go... Something's going on here, you know, and I just make a check mark of that. Well, he distributes for Fuente. That's normal. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. okay. You know, it's interesting. Business, family businesses are difficult. Where I'm third generation, my son is through his fourth generation, and there's a reason why family businesses go don't go from one generation to second generation and the third generation. So um, it's it's kind of interesting. About uh, ten years ago. Listen, you told your stuff last week. I'll tell my story. Okay, here it comes. <laughs> Drew Estate sold to Swisher. Yes. And uh, the next week I get a call from Swisher, from Peter Galani, and said, what are you doing about succession planning? I have never thought of succession planning. Like you, I think, I think I'm think i going to live forever. Yes. You know, it's like he's going to say, is your business up for, for sale? And I said no because my son had an interest in the business. He has much more passion in the business th- than I do. But not only in the Scarlet business, but in any family business. Unless you have the next generation wants to go in, in the business, why would you hang on to it? You can't put the business in your coffin. Right. So um, if I didn't, if Drew didn't have the interest in the business, we would sell out. Because what can you do? do, do you would have been with Drew Estate, <laughs> which doesn't like to me. It doesn't. That wouldn't match. That the Swisher buying. Drew Estate, okay, I can see that because they're both um, new people getting into Of course it would make sense. They're, they, they're interested in high, high volume. Right, right. They were in the acquisition mode back then. And, of course, listening to your show, you tell us who's in the acquisition mode and yes. who isn't. But uh, I get some of my, my best tidbits on the industry listening to, to you. Well, some, most of it's made up. Yeah, so keep in mind. Keep that in mind. Made up. Now you tell me. Yeah, right. Uh, okay, let's go take a break. And when we come back, Cigars That Built America, we're going into the 1900s up to modern day. And uh, another cigar from J.C. Newman we're going to light up that has been relaunched. And we're going to light it up next when we come back. We're live in the Toscano Cigar Soundstage. You're listening to The Cigar Authority on the United Podcast Network. Are you a member of the Cigar Authority Care Package? Well, if not, my friend, the time is now. For just $29.99, you get four premium cigars delivered to your door each month. And we'll smoke those cigars along with you during the show. Is that really a benefit? I think it is. 
We will judge the construction, flavor, strength, and review the cigars, and you'll see how right or wrong we really are. You might be surprised. Four premium cigars delivered to you for just $29.99, and you can quit any time, but you won't. The value is incredible. Want to take the Cigar Authority Care Package to the next level? Sign up or upgrade to the Cigar Authority Care Package Prime. For just $5 more, you get an extra cigar and usually something special. That's five cigars each month, all different. Find the Cigar Authority Care Package on thecigarauthority.com and sign up now. That's the Cigar Authority Care Package. Aging Room 4 Nicaragua Maestro. Named Cigar Aficionado's number one cigar of the year with a 96 rating is a complex Nicaraguan puro carefully blended by Rafael Nodal and made by A.J. Fernandez. As Cigar Aficionado described it, every puff is an overture of flavors that's at times heavy and rich with notes of dark chocolate and wood, and other times subtle and understated with hints of fine caramel and toasted almonds. Treat yourself to an aging Room 4 Nicaragua today. Surgeon General warning, tobacco smoke increases the risk of lung cancer and heart disease, even in non-smokers. You've heard us talking before about the best cigar magazine in the world, Cigar Journal. You want to know what makes Cigar Journal the best cigar magazine? Cigar Journal covers every angle of the cigar world. From exclusive stories and features, insightful interviews with industry power players, detailed cigar reviews, and of course, all the latest news and reports surrounding premium cigars. We're telling you, you will be impressed. Cigar Journal has stunning images, explanations of cigar science basics. This is the magazine for any cigar enthusiast, or better yet, passionado. Cigar Journal covers cigars in the U.S. and around the world and is printed right here in the USA. You owe it to yourself to discover the world's best cigar magazine, Cigar Journal. Available at your local cigar retailer and on the web at their new website, CigarJournal.com. That's CigarJournal.com. Let me tell you a little bit about the Rocky Patel 15th Anniversary Cigar, or what they call the Three-Peat. Crafted in Rocky's boutique Nicaraguan factory, the 15th anniversary was released in 2010 to commemorate Rocky Patel's 15th year in the cigar industry, and it impressed right out of the gate. The Robusto and the Torpedo both scored 93 points in Cigar Aficionado, while the Toro and Corona Gorda both notched 92 points. The Rocky Patel 15th Anniversary is a robust cigar with notes of toasted spice, roasted coffee, and almonds. Rocky Patel himself has referred to his 15th anniversary as the decade on steroids. The 15th Anniversary has also been named to Cigar Aficionado's Top 25 Cigars of the Year list on three separate occasions. Rocky's only brand to accomplish the three-peat. Rocky Patel's 15th anniversary, Rocky Patel's 15th anniversary, Rocky Patel's 15th anniversary. Justo and his father Julio Eiroa are continuing the tradition of growing authentic Corojo and now bring you Aladino. Aladino is a true old-fashioned cigar, pure authentic Corojo grown in the Eiroa tobacco farms in Honduras from the original Cuban seed of Corojo. An Aladino cigar represents the golden era of cigars in Cuba, and after one light, 
this old school smoke will bring you back. Aladino cigars come from JRE Tobacco, a family-centered company who manage all aspects of cigar growing and manufacturing. This crop-to-shop operation is fully committed to providing you with quality and satisfaction. The premier Corojo grower in the entire cigar industry is Julio Eiroa, a tobacco grower and master cigar blender who personally guarantees that Aladino will provide you the opportunity to enjoy the true authentic Corojo taste. Take this journey and be part of history in a cigar smoking experience like no other. Aladino. This is Rafael Nodal from Agent Room Cigars and Tabacalera USA. You're listening to the Cigar Authority on the United Podcast Network. And we are back. We're talking about the cigars that built America. Joining us is the cigar historian, Eric Newman, president of J.C. Newman, America's oldest cigar factory. Welcome back. And that's going to stick, the cigar historian. You're going to be okay with that? This is how this stuff happens. <laughs> I say it a couple of times, and it becomes... You, that's what you're known as. This, my for fifth, example, glory hole is starting to, yes. to pick up. <laughs> that's when you cut cut the hole in the cigar in the torpedo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. That this is my fiftieth year in business here. Fifty years, still learning something every day. Fifty years in the business. Half what I learned is on the cigar authority. Listen, right, listen yeah. to your podcast, and now you tell me it's all not true. No, it's some of it is. Um, Thought up, and I say it before I do that episode. It's speculation. Speculation, yeah. yeah that's, that's better good. than made up speculation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're about to light our second cigar, and uh, this has come out before, and it's been redone, and here it is, the launch of a new cigar again from J.C. Newman. What do we have here? Yep. Today's second cigar is the Black Diamond, and it's manufactured in the Dominican Republic for J.C. Newman. The size that we're lighting up is a four and a half by 54 called the Radiant, and it features a sun-grown Connecticut Havana seed wrapper, Dominican binder, and five-year aged filler from the Dominican Republic. The single will be $18.19, while a box of 20 is $323.99, which comes out to $16.19 per cigar. That's a savings of $40 or 10% off the box price on twoguyscigars.com. If you're too far away from a brick-and-mortar retailer that carries it, Try twoguyscigars.com. That's the number two, guyscigars.com. So people were asking yesterday, how much stronger or weaker is this than uh, the past when Black Diamond was out, which I found Black Diamond was too heavy for my palate. But this has been refined a little bit. We age, we age it longer. Okay. This made for us by Carlos Fuente. It has a uh, Connecticut Havana seed wrapper, but it, it was pretty strong for for me too. So we okay. we toned it down down a bit. So um, what happened to the? Uh, I still have a five pack from before it was called the Diamond Crown Experience. I had gone on the factory tour, and you had five packs that you gave the people that were on that trip, and we smoked the cigar, and you asked for feedback. Everybody said, "Don't change a thing," and it was it's perfect. <laughs> Five years later, the, the Black Diamond still hadn't come out yet, and this I smoked this this morning. Uh, Brad gave me one, and it kind of reminded me of that, that first edition. Is that what happened? Did you go back in time? We did, but I, you know, it's funny. People's talent, you know, palates change. When you start smoking a, a you start drinking bourbon, or you start smoking a cigar, or a, a vodka, you want a kind of a mildish deal, and then, but over time you want some a little, little, little more oomph. I think the industry, and of course, listen, I get my, I'm a cigar authority. Um, 
at, during the cigar boom, people want stronger, stronger, stronger. But we think that people's palates are, are maturing, that maybe you don't want something that's going to blow out your taste buds. So we, we toned it da- da- down a bit, a lot of flavor. Uh, our partner, Carlos Swente, has a, a philosophy that even during the cigar boom, people really don't want cigars that are really that stronger. They want it with more flavor. flavor. So there's, yeah. there's a difference between strength and flavor. So we wanted to go more toward the flavor side. There we go. So I think you did it. I did it. So let's give it a cut and light. It's time to cut our cigar. The official cutting brought to you by Perdomo Cigars. Perdomo, the brand, while all other brands were raising prices, Perdomo cut out the federal S-chip tax, and actually lowered them. Perdomo Cigars, they stand for quality, tradition, and excellence. Excellence. And as I expected, we are running late on this, and I, I don't want to speed it up. I want to get to everything I want to get to. So it, it, welcome to an extended version of the Cigar Authority, I think. A little chocolate note on the cold draw. Mmm. It's Toll House morsels, really. Semi-sweet. Yeah. You let it uh, just kind of melt on your tongue and mush it up against the roof of your mouth and then just retrohale those vapors. <laughs> okay. We're going to light our cigar today with the <laughs> okay. Sickle by Vertigo. It features single action, two jets angled for pinpoint accuracy. They're fueled by the patented Vertigo big-ass tank. You get easy adjustment at the bottom. You got a fuel window and a full-size up to a 64-ring gauge cutter, guillotine-style all for the low price of twenty nine ninety nine. That is the Sickle by Vertigo. I was at our Seabrook location yesterday, and they were telling me they can't keep these in stock. They're selling so quick. Yeah. I was at Seabrook on Thursday. They told me. Yeah. And you were nice. You sat down there, and you were talking uh, with the people. Exactly. Which I, I said, Ed Sullivan? <laughs> <laughs> talking with the people? A great group of people up mm. there. Eric was there yesterday. You should have went yesterday. Did All you right. have your dates confused? No. I, okay. I was going to the Hampton Beach Comedy Festival, ah. so I thought I'll get up ah. there early, have a nice cigar there. I thought this was the comedy festival. <laughs> <laughs> this is disturbing. Disturbing comedy. This is full-bodied. This... Maybe it's a step down, but it's it's still up there. It can be full bodied, but not be overbearing, and not it, be strong nicotine wise. This is. I think it's better balanced. This is wow, fresh lemonade. It has that what lemony kind of right on the first light. You got to eat more food. You're losing yeah. your sense of flavor. I smoked one yesterday. And they were surprised because I smoked it all the way down until I couldn't hold it any mm-hmm. longer. Delicious, but I smoked it very slow, mm-hmm. and that's how I got through it. Um, okay, we're in the 1900s. And 1901, C.A. Wheeling Company, a retail chain, founded and changed its name to United Cigar Stores. Mm. Do you remember those? United Cigar Stores? Did you ever go to a United Cigar Store? My father, they were the most prominent chain of cigar stores in the country. Yes. My father he used to tell a story when he was a young kid back in the 1930s. He'd go sell cigars to the United Cigar Store. And, and, the, and poor dad, he was, he was like 26 at the time. And there was 25 other cigar sales right in front of him. And dad was in line all day long about 5.30. Finally gets to, to the, gets to the buyer, last one in line. And the buyer says, 
I don't want anything. I don't need anything. You're the 26th cigar <laughs> peddler I've spoken to all day. I got all that I need. But if you didn't get cigars sold in United Cigar Stores, you didn't have a chance to, to make it. Yeah. So if it was really popular, then you have your own United Cigar. Yeah, United Cigar. We have it now. Um, the interesting thing, and I studied uh, United Cigar for years and years, the idea of United Cigar was in contrast to the existing cigar stores at the time. And which were small, dark, and dingy operations, um, small local tobacconists. So that's what existed. And they said, we're going to do it different. United was well-laid-out stores, clean, bright, well-stocked, and more often than not located in street corners of towns at important intersections, good locations, which was the opposite of what's going on. And still to this day, the opposite to a lot of cigar stores that are out there, not me. That's how I operated Two Guys Smoke Shop and said, okay, it's going to be clean, well lit, in a good location, easy to get to, off the main drag and whatever, or on the main drag. There's a reason they say it three times, location, location, yeah. location. So United Cigars became the, the largest retail cigar chain. And listen, that's where you buy cigars is retailers so manufacturers can be manufacturers and make cigars but if there's not a location for them to be sold at the retailer is very very important that's why i'm so pro brick and mortar retail cigar stores and always have been that it's so so important in it right here in new hampshire in 1910 rg sullivan manchester new hampshire uh, at that time claims to be the country's largest cigar maker of 10 cent cigar cigars they had 350 rollers making the 724 cigar brand which now exists kurt kendall up there has that which is great so another his historic thing of not letting this history of the cigars go away so united cigars still exists 724 still exists jc newman still exists all the, all these times so 2000 uh, 1910 still the and it's funny you brought the name up uh, to me, 1910 becomes the Independent Retail Tobacconist Association. The IRTA is the first formed ever group of cigar retailers that happens at that time. In reaction to the growth of United Cigar, the group is actually formed because of the growth of United Cigar that this big chain that exists, the independent guys, were getting wiped out. So this organization gets there so that they can compete and learn, okay, what are we doing wrong? Yeah, your, your store you could just walk into one of the stores and take yeah. some notes. <laughs> well, sometimes retailers need help. I think we always need help. Back then, the, the iPhone, granted, was just a piece of paper and a pencil, but you, know, you go in, draw yeah. a picture. Um, Nineteen twenty, Oscar Hammerstein, a German-born businessman, creates a machine. That starts being used by manufacturers a way to mass produce cigars. I've seen that name on Oscar something before. Oscar Hammerstein. Is that your machines? Our machines are developed by American uh, American Machine and Foundry (AMF). But okay. back, but the other cigar machines were came from Switzerland, Sweden. I'm sorry, and uh, they were Aranko machines. Okay, the they first were, one was German, and that was his in in 1920. Uh, also in 1920, a crippling 11-month-long strike bankrupts the Tampa cigar factories. This is before you're there. 1920. 
Bear, there was there. It's a brand called Bearing Cigars. Oh, yes. there, Jimmy Corral. They used they had, they had some really nasty strikes back back there, back then, and um, but they they got through it. But the labor was a big issue because making cigars by hand is very labor intensive. Yeah. So um, it still is. Sure. Nineteen thirty comes. Nickel cigars account for sixty three percent of all sales. Of cigars at that point. Nickel cigars. July 1931. Not to be confused with Dr. Nichols. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, by July 1931, now we have a problem in the U.S. with uh, people going broke, and it becomes 73% of all cigars sold are five cents. Mm. However, okay. during the Great Depression, yes. the business was, was difficult. All kind of sure. business. So my uh, grandfather came out with a, a, a brand um, called Cameo. Back then, little Cameo sold for two cents. Hmm. And we still have some packages of the old two-cent cigar. This We were in Cleveland. He uh, didn't make any money, but he ran two shifts making two-cent cigars to get people employed. So you talk about wow. the nickel. So two cents became even more popular back of in the, during the Great d d d Depression. Well, much like your factory throwout brand, that there is a unbelievable value cigar that exists out there, and you blew my mind yesterday when you were telling me how many you make of those. I mean, you don't have to share it, but there is there is a lot mm -hmm. of low price cigars that you make very very little on, but you keep your people employed. Yeah, you know, talk about the five cent cigar. During um, there's been several cigar booms. Uh, of the industry. The first cigar boom was during World War II. Uncle Sam brought 35% of every cigar manufacturer's production. Mm. Life was great. Can you imagine making a widget of any kind and 35% of your production was already bought? Life was great. Yes. Till after World War II, uh, the government, they, they wanted to buy the cigars and sell them to the boys in the foxholes in Germany. But they didn't rotate their, their they didn't rotate the cigars. They didn't handle them. They didn't put in humidified storages. Right. So they had a lot of cigars coming back. After World War II, we were getting more cigars back than we were shipping. My father came up with an idea. <laughs> How does that happen? <laughs> Hopefully, the idea was no refunds. There we go. But anyway, we had a we had a, a big nickel cigar. This is a large cameo. We had in the 1950 the largest selling nickel cigar. In the country, we're making a million cigars a week. It was my father's project. He was so proud of himself. One day in 1951, my father and grandfather go call on a chain of uh, of uh, smoke shops. It was called. They were the distributors, Niles and Moser. They had like 50 warehouses of cigars in Nebraska, in the Midwest, Oklahoma, Kansas. And uh, my father tells me the story. He goes in with his with his father, my grandfather, and Mr. Moser says, "Mr. Newman, I like I love your cameo scar. I want to make and it was the largest selling nickel scar in the Midwest back then. I want to make your your nickel scar, our company's nickel nickel scar. I want to give you an order for half a million cigars a week." Wow. My father was ecstatic. It was his baby. He goes and calls the office. Get the machines going. Get get going. And as soon as he left that office. Mr. Mo my grandfather said, Mr. Moser, thank you for the order, but we aren't making any money at a nickel. Come Monday, it's going to six cents. And Mr. Moser said, Mr. Newman, I don't want to have, I don't need a, a six cents car. I want your company's uh, nickel scar. And my grandfather was stubborn. 
He was, I said, it's going to six cents. My father comes back in the meeting. Here's the conversation that's fit to be tied. He knew what was going to happen, and sure it did. They raised from five cents to six cents. In three months, they lost half their business. Absolutely. And then after three months, they lowered it back down to a nickel. It was too late. Lost their business, lost, lost their customers, all because of one penny would change people's buying habits. Well, it's 20%. It's 20, even though it seems so little, it becomes 20%. So one of the companies out there, 1931, White Owl. White Owl is a six-cent cigar. They're, they're bleeding out. So they actually lowered their price, much like Perdomo cut yeah, this federal sure. airstrip tax. They lowered their cigar to five cents and becomes the largest selling five-cent cigar because they lowered it back to five cents. 520 million cigars per year. Jeez. They probably got white owls. They probably got some of the business from my, my right. grandfather. That, well, that, that, it that it we comes lost. from somewhere, right? Yeah. So it's so interesting what ends up happening on there. Again, you know, look, looking at history, somebody brought up White Owl to us just yesterday, right? And brings up the brand that they still make White Owl. Yes, they still make White Owl, but here at that time, 1931, it was the number one, 520 million. So that you have an idea of what 520 million is. Last year was the the biggest boom in the cigar industry happened during COVID, and we got we took imported in I think 420 million cigars. This is 520 million of just one brand domestically made. Yes. 520 million, which brings us to 1932 when the RTDA, the Retail Tobacco Dealers Association, is formed. Um, in 2007, it changes its name to the IPCPR, International Premium Cigar and Pipe Retailer. Again, in 2019, changing to the PCA, the trade show that we talk about that we go to each time, but formed in 1932. So that's really something, you know, they got 100 years coming in 10 years, 90 years that that. Uh, RTDA has been put together, the same organization that exists today. 1934, 18-year-old Stanford Newman goes to work for his cigar-making Hungarian immigrant father in Cleveland, takes over the business and relocates to Tampa, uh, where he died in 2006 at the age of 90 years old when you took over. May it be in the genes. I hope so. (laughs) In in your mother last, a long time in her. 95, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Um, 1937, the Cigar Manufacturers Association is founded, later changing its name to the Cigar Association of America in 1974, which you are still a member of. Yep, yep still bo- yep. on the board there. Yep. You've got to be the longest, you've got to be the longest company there. I was the youngest. Actually, my grandfather was one of the founders in 1937. They had a big problem with uh, tobacco quotas back in from Connecticut, Broadleaf, and the big companies put these quotas in to make it difficult on the little guys like my grandfather. So my grandfather went to actually my grandfather went to went to see uh, the uh, capital in you know, uh, Columbus, Ohio, to see the, the see the the uh, our senator there. Then he went to see Franklin Roosevelt. Wow! How we're getting screwed. He didn't, he dead. Grandpa J.C. didn't. He, he got as far as the Secretary of Agriculture. And my <laughs> grandfather got not not to see FDR, and, and my grandfather said that all the problems with these these quotas you put on the government puts on. They didn't know any better, and the, and the Secretary of Agriculture said at that time, "We want you to help us. If you got issues, let us know. You ought to form a trade association wow. that could advise us on what we need to do." And that was the beginning of the stamp of the Scar Manufacturer Association, which is now the CEA, which started again in 1937. My grandfather was, was one of the founders. Wowie, wowie. 
Um, and, and Didn't see that coming. Nope. And, that, and I knew each one of these things now as I got oh, into yeah. those years that it's going to spawn off into something else. Um, 1937, you're in Cleveland, Ohio, when that all that ends up happening. 54 becomes J.C. Newman moves to Tampa and that whole where you are now, still to this day. And one of the, one of the, the reasons that, that happened, in the early 1950s, there were five big cigar companies trying to run the little guys, like my grandfather, out of the business. The big guys grew their own tobacco. Maybe it cost them $3 a pound. But they would go to the farmers and offer them to pay $6 a pound for a little bit of their needs. They could themselves average down with what they uh, grew themselves. But the little guys, like my grandfather, that didn't grow their own tobacco, had to pay this fictitiously high price of $6 a pound. And Grandpa Jesse said, I cannot compete against these guys because their costs are so much lower than mine. And fortunately, those big companies, many of them you do business with t- today, General Consolidated, yeah. Bayek, et cetera, um, uh, they were in the mass market business. My grandfather said, if we're going to stay in the business. We have to get a niche of the scar business where the big guys weren't in. And they were not in the premium business. So at the age of 78, my grandfather said, there's, we got to get in the premium business. And back in 1954, there's only one section of the United States making premium scars, and that was at Tampa, Florida. So we moved our business from- Where the rollers are. Cleveland to, to, yeah. to, to Tampa. And even then, uh, Tampa was still 10 big family-owned companies making Cuban cigars. In fact, we used to be able to get up on our roof and see all of our competitors all over the United States with an eyesight because all the <laughs> famous brands, all the famous premium brands yeah. sold that country, country at that time was made, made in Tampa. Yeah, yeah. The balls on that guy. 74 years old, which Jesus. makes me feel good that, okay, I, I can I can do this another 20 years or so and still, you know, make moves like that at that age and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to end up making these major changes. Do you feel any pressure? Like, you have you had anything happen where you, you had to just put it on the line like that? And... Oh, are you kidding oh, yeah. me? Well, that, if we have time, we'll t- 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 tell those stories, oh, too, in, in, in the 80s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're, at, we're in 1958. Uh, J- Julius Newman, president of M&N Cigar Manufacturing at the time, and uh, Standard Cigar Company? Yeah, there's our manufacturing company. Okay. Uh, passes away at 83. And that's when your dad takes over. That's correct. Right? Uh, his biography, by the way, uh, Smoke Dreams, uh, is a worthwhile read for sure if you're interested in the subject we're talking about you need to get this um and the business continues um 1958 carl cuesta sells a cuesta ray brand to the newman family newman cigar company in 1884 uh angel cuesta and peregrino ray founded the brand cuesta ray and it was a very popular premium cigar in those days and my father felt that if we're going to be successful in Tampa, we had to get a premium brand. And I know Cuesta had two sons in the business, both in the early 80s, had no children in the business. So my father bought the, the Cuesta Ray brand in 1959, and we've had that brand ever since. So you have made an acquisition at one go. point in the company's history. His father. We, we did, yes. Yeah. So there's nothing stopping you, you've, you, and you've been very successful with that. You want some locker room information. I do. Yeah. <laughs> 1980, you moved the production to the Dominican Republic because it was too costly to make the cigars in Tampa at that point? Well, everything, everything's got a story. Earlier, I was talking about family businesses are, are <laughs> difficult. The cigar business in the, eight, in the eight, 1980s overall really sucked. 
<laughs> Amen. I mean, you got in the worst possible time. Yes. Business was going down 4 or 5% of the year. The only way any cigar manufacturer could increase their business was go out by steal, steal your competitors' customers. Mm. And guess what? They're trying to steal your customers. Look, look, yeah. The industry was really going through a, a, a tough time. My grandfather had four kids. My father ran manufacturing. My uncle ran sales. And the sisters collected dividends when there were dividends, but weren't dividends because you have to have profit. So business was difficult. So in 1986, it was decided that if we're going to stay in business, one side of the business, well, one side of the family had, a, had to buy out the other side. So we engineered this leverage buyout. My, you know, again, my father owned a third, and so one third bought out two thirds. So we um, um, bought out the relatives. They got the money. We got the debt and the opportunity for about five years. I thought they got the best part of the deal. Sure. You know, in life, some decisions are made with the head, yeah. some are made with the heart. Yeah. And I thought I was afraid for about five or six years there that the head got away of the heart. Yeah. I'm you sorry. The heart it. got away of the head. That's yeah. what, but what happened? It was Valentine's Day, 1986. <sighs> we, we had this deal. And walking back after we bought our relatives, my father's so happy. Look. We own this business all by ourselves. I said, no, we don't, Dad. The banks own it. Yeah. And sure enough, they, they, they did. We had no money. And the way we financed, we paid off our relatives. Our factory in Tampa had no mortgage on it. So we, 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 uh, we mortgaged the, the factory with the savings and loan, local savings and loan in, in, in Tampa. And about two weeks later, we got a, a note from the government that said there's no more savings and loan. So all the savings and loans went belly up in 1980. 86. So we had a new partner called the Resolution Trust Corporation, the RTC. They weren't bankers. They were liquidators. And they were worse than our relatives. It was, it was, uh, it was really uh, stressful and, and, and tough. But, you know, in life to be successful, you have to work hard. You have to work smart. And you also takes a certain amount of luck. Uh, you got to take gambles. Well, it was a gamble. Yeah. But, uh, again, I thought the, the uh, heart got away the head. But three weeks after we do the deal, another old Tampa f factory, an old family cigar company called uh, Carlos Fuente, opened up a factory in 1980 in Dominican Republic. They also had a factory in Tampa where they made their machine-made cigars. And, they, and Carlos asked my father, he said, I want to close my factory in Tampa. I'm doing well in Dominican Republic. Would you be interested in making my machine-made cigars? A brand called Moya. And Dad said, sure, Carlos, but if we, now we got in business. We, if we were going to stay and be successful in the cigar business, we got to get in, in the handmade cigar business. So, Carlos, do you make handmade cigars for us in his factory in, in Santiago, Dominican Republic? And Carlos said, you know, sure. So, we, in 1986, we came out with a brand called La Unica. And back in the mid-1980s, cigars were sold two ways. The good stuff was sold in boxes. Uh, the the uh, factory seconds were always sold in bundles. So we came up with a concept about putting a premium cigar, a good cigar, in a bundle. would offer value to the customer where you wouldn't have to pay for the boxes, the fancy trimmings, the, the rhythm, the, uh, uh, any, uh, the, the bands and everything that goes into making a cigar package. So we came up with La, La Unica, first premium cigar in bundles. And within six months, it, it took, took off. So much so that in 1988... We closed our long filler production in Tampa. We're, we're making our, our Quest Ray cigars. And from 1988 on, uh, Carlos started making our, our Quest Ray long filler six cigars. And but what really helped us was in 1990, Fuente always had, we felt, the best cigar fact in the world, but they never had their own sales organization. We had our own sales organization, good salesmen, but we had no handmade factory. 
So we uh, worked up a, a, an agreement with Fuente in November 1st of 1990. We started to distribute Fuente cigars. So when our salesman goes into see you and others, they had more products to, to sell. So we could sell Jason Newman cigars and Fuente cigars, and that's what we were good at. And, and Fuente could concentrate on just making our cigars and, and his cigars without worrying about s- selling. And this was again. What timing! This oh was, my god! And this was two years before this, before the cigar boom. Yeah. Two years before cigar aficionado came out. Well, you know what it was like. Oh you my started, god! You know, business really sucked back when you started. Yeah. What does that document look like? I mean, is is how do you hanging on? How do you even draft? How do you even draft that? We just we you know funny we uh, about two weeks ago we just established a new agreement. Just to make it to update it, but we've been working on this distribution agreement, the same agreement made in 1990, pretty much on a handshake. Yeah, and it, it, you're right, it, it worked out. I mean, nobody saw the cigar boom come of the 90s, no. and uh, Fuente was a uh, had spotty dis- distribution. They sold a few. Uh, we talked about Brickenhauer and yeah. and and and, uh, and uh, some of the other uh, big d- distributors. A lot of them have gone out of business, so it, it worked out well for them. Worked out well wow. for us, and uh, we've been partners ever since. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful, unbelievable. Uh, before that comes the you say and bump into some roadblocks was uh, the embargo in 1962. That changes everything. The Surgeon General in 1964. That changes everything, and uh, boom on domestics in '64. So that was good, but then 1980 comes and the thing just starts falling apart uh, up to 1990. So uh, that takes us up to uh, recent time. But right now it is time for the confessional, and that's brought to you by All Saints Cigars. It's time for the confessional. Brought to you by All Saints Cigars, featuring the All Saints St. Francis Voted the 2021 Cigar of the Year. All Saints Cigars. In the name of the Churchill, Toro, and Robusto. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And how long has it been, my son, since your last St. Francis uh, uh, confession? It's been one week since my last confession. And what is it that you have to confess today, my son? Okay, it's, it's up on me because Barry wasn't ready. He'll do it next week. But uh, mine is I lied. And uh, this was just a week ago. Wow. And um, I wore my slippers out to a store <laughs> with my wife accidentally that I had these nice slippers on and it was time to go. We had to go to a store and I'm wearing the slippers. And uh, it's because I forgot they were on. But my confession is, that's what I said to my wife. I knew they were on. (laughs) It was a short thing we were going to. I was comfortable, and I said, I'm just leaving them on. Did they have, like, the fluffy stuff inside? No, inside they did, yep, yep. That's your confessional? (laughs) Yeah. I lied. She said, oh, my God, you're wearing your slippers. And I said, oh, my God, I forgot. I didn't forget. The confessional should be that you wore them outside of the house, period. That's a big no-no. Wear your slippers outside of the house. You should be ashamed of yourself. I'm coming from the man now. that raised red pumps. You're not, right, yeah. right. You're not right. old enough. You're not old enough to be able to get away with that. Well, I did it because it was a mistake, but it wasn't. Well, Barry, see if next week you can do better. You can do better I, 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 than that. Yeah, the bar is pretty low. <laughs> All right, early thoughts here well, on 
it, it, it's a recent story, and I. Yeah, but he's, he's I give we need your penance. Oh, my penance. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, I've had worse. Smoke one of each Robusto, huge Toro, Churchill, all Saint cigars this week. I will. Was the story you went to Walmart? No. Because it, it would be acceptable, because right. it wouldn't be the worst thing seen at Walmart. It you was, could end up on a website, It was one of those, we, we get um, plants and stuff, outdoor oh, things. Oh, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, I thought so. No, do not, yeah. do like, not encourage well, this behavior. Was it just, in the yard. you didn't want to have to tie shoes? or Yeah, she just said, come on, you said you want to help me, I have to go pick up some plants or whatever, and I said, okay, and I just went out, and nothing was said until we were there, and then she said... You're wearing your slippers. And I said, oh, my God, I forgot. <laughs> I didn't forget. <laughs> Terrible. Is, is that wrong? It's wrong. Okay. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, let's talk um, about uh, cigars in the future with J.C. Newman. And uh, we got letters in the mailbox and a prize to give away. Stick around, everybody. We're live in the Toscano Cigar Soundstage. You're listening to The Cigar Authority on the United Podcast Network. The following message is brought to you by Drew Estate. Drew Estate, the rebirth of cigars in the new Drew Diplomat app. Join me, Barry Stein, from the Cigar Authority on Drew Diplomat. As you know, I am quite partial to Liga Pavada Number 9 from Drew Estate. So join me for a Liga and share your experience with Drew Estate. And while you're at it, don't forget to check into Two Guys Smoke Shop on the Drew Diplomat app. Drew Diplomat is now available for the iPhone and Android. To learn more about Drew Diplomat, visit DrewDiplomat.com. That's DrewDiplomat.com. You must be at least 21 years of age or older and a resident of the United States, including D.C. To be eligible for membership in this program, other terms and conditions apply. Surgeon General warning, cigars are not a safe alternative to cigarettes. Since 1989, Nestor and Mariana Miranda have subscribed to one family, one vision with Miami Cigar & Company. Since their inception, the Miranda family has fulfilled their dream by creating some of the best cigars on the market today. Cigars like Nestor Miranda Special Selection, which is produced in Nicaragua, featuring an oily Nicaraguan Havana wrapper that the Cigar Authority named their 2019 Cigar of the Year. And the Don Lino Africa, which celebrates Nestor's love of big game animals. These soft box-pressed cigars feature an authentic Cameroon binder, which creates delicious nuances and crescendos. Miami Cigar invites you to try these brands at your favorite tobacconist. You only have one life. How will you live yours? Experience the rich tradition of the legendary H. Upman brand with the latest addition to their iconic 1844 line. The H. Upman 1844 Añejo uses a rich, well-balanced blend of Nicaraguan, Honduran, and Dominican tobaccos and an extra-aged wrapper that offers a deep aroma with a bold finish. The H. Upman 1844 Añejo is sure to please adult smokers looking for a delicious, handmade, premium smoke that is aged to perfection. Surgeon General warning, tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. Jose Dominguez, Jose Dominguez, Jose, Jose, Jose Dominguez. 
Dominguez. What the hell are you doing? I'm writing a commercial for Jose Dominguez. Well, what you should be doing is talking about how good they are. That Jose Dominguez makes millions of cigars for other people, but saves the best tobaccos and the best blend for his namesake, Jose Dominguez. Not singing a song, if that's what you think you're doing. What I am doing is creating what is known as a donut. Hey, nobody's going to take away your donuts. No, a donut in a commercial is when it starts with a jingle and then the information comes in and then ends with the song again. The information is the filling of the donut. Why does everything you talk about have to center around food and usually donuts? I don't know. Listen, Jose Dominguez cigars come in four great sizes and two wrappers. The mild, buttery, smooth, natural, and the slightly bolder Maduro. And every cigar is about $5. You know as well as I do, Dave, Jose Dominguez is no $5 cigar. It's worth so much more, it's a sensational value. Okay, here's the end of the donut. You ready? Jose Dominguez. Jose Dominguez. Hi, this is Steve Saka from Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust, and you're listening to the Cigar Authority on the United Podcast Network. We are back. We're smoking the Black Diamond from J.C. Newman Cigars. They've revamped it. Find it at your favorite brick-and-mortar retailer. It's out there. We're talking uh, the history of cigars in America. Welcome back. We have Eric Newman from J.C. Newman here. Um, where is uh, our industry right now uh, in J.C. Newman? Well, before we do that, Dave, there's one thing I a couple want to talk about, if I have the microphone now. Of course. I started 50 years ago uh, last month in our business, and you're talking about the history of cigars. Back in 1972, believe it or not, 95% of premium cigars were Candela. Yes, green, green tobacco. Green nobody, cigar. nobody would believe that. Right. And nobody had natural cigars. The biggest selling cigar was a Palma, yes. Palma shape. Every cigar, every cigar factory in Tampa. 42? 42 by six and a quarter. Yes. Now you look at a six, now you look at a 42 ring, looks like a damn Panatella. Right. But it, it's, it's funny how people's, uh, uh, you know, they gravitate to larger c- cigars. How much of the, is it, do you think, that it's people gravitating toward larger cigars versus the manufacturer coming out with larger cigars and touting it as the next big thing? I think like Diamond Crown. I think it's it's my father was the first to have a fifty four ring and and back then the fifty two ring or fifty ring was the largest ring back back in nineteen ninety five. But Dad knew the thicker the cigar, the more leaves you could blend at one time, maintain the continuity of taste. Dad was kind of ahead of his time, and now we were smoking earlier the Brickhouse Mighty Mighty sixty ring, which is a big cigar. But now you got what Christian's done with Asylum seventy eighty. 90 ring, but it, it's, it, it's, uh, it was kind of interesting how people's uh, uh, interest, not interest, what, I don't think it was, it was driven by the manufacturer. I think it was driven by the, by the marketplace. Um, it was kind of interesting. Back in, we had a Questray 95, and, and there's a 42 ring. And one day somebody comes up to my father and says, you know, Stanford, your cigars are getting smaller. You know, said so no, they aren't. Some cigar smokers' mouths are just getting bigger. <laughs> and from that time, people's got looking for larger, larger ring, ring gauges. Nothing. Another thing that changed is that today, all the cigar manufacturers sell to smoke shops direct, mm. pretty pretty much. Back when I started, very few people sold direct manufacturers. We sold to wholesale candy and tobacco distributors. Every town in America, 
okay, every time in the United States, I don't know what they did in Nicaragua or what they did in Central America or Brazil, every time in the United States had their own wholesale candy and tobacco d distributor. When you started in business, Dave, sure. in, eight, in, 18, in 1995, in 1985, uh, you, you didn't buy direct. You right. buy from a d distributor. But since that time, things, uh, things have changed. Now there's only four or five big distributors in the country versus 250 back in, in those, those days. What's the future for J.C. Newman? We have our, you know, our factory in, in Tampa, where you've been to, and we hope, we hope that all your listeners will come vis visit us. We just finished this major, our third, fourth major renovation. We tripled the size of our museum. We have a little movie theater in there, but a handmade cigar factory. We're giving tours, uh, public tours, five or 6,000 people a year. Unbelievable. We have 25 weddings scheduled this, this year, and it's just being a real popular Imagine place. somebody wants to have their wedding in your mm. factory. It's really cool. And what, what, what do the rollers think of it? They're saying, what are they doing? <laughs> like, they go to work there every day, and then they say, somebody's getting married here. No, the, the rollers, but our, our employees, they can't believe we charge... The, the the museum is free. You just come in there and you take you know walking by yourself. But if you wanted a, a behind the scenes tour for an hour and a half, we we have guides that take you through our factory, and our employees can't believe people. It only costs like fifteen dollars. People can't believe people actually want to pay money to see what they do. We said <laughs> to our, our cigar makers and our and our stemmers and our packers and cellophane people, yeah. Take pride in your work. People want to see what you do. So, you know, stretch your wrapper, keep your area clean. It's kind of really changed the whole culture of the factory because our main business is, is making cigars in Tampa and shipping cigars. Again, we're on antique cigar machines and same cigars. You know, we, we got these same machines. My grandfather bought them in the 1930s. And um, I was talking to the Tampa Bay Times uh, reporter last year and I said about our, our cigar machines that we're using from the 1990, from the eight, 1930s. And she said, oh, you mean you're using replica machines? No, these are the actual ma machines. And there's nothing made in this country today, forgetting cigars, that's made on the same machine that was made 90, 90 years, years ago. Because there's been technology, there's yeah. been computers, modernization. Well, who but fixes them? We found, we, we got some mechanics, <laughs> and we had to train mechanics, but it, it's hard. The old days... We moved down to Tampa. If we broke a if we broke a machine part, broke a lever or a gear, our head mechanic would call the head, head mechanic of Have a Tampa or Fuente or, or Garcia Vega or somebody yeah. else. We just swap parts. There's nobody to swap parts for, and it is really a, a challenge. But we have our factory. You know, we make our factory throwouts. My father died in 2006, as you mentioned. Before he died, Daddy wanted to make a bundle of scars that would sell everywhere. I said, you know, find Dad. I said, I want to name it. Dad, your project, you name it. I'm going to call it Factory Throwouts. I said, Dad, that's the most god-awful name for a cigar. Nobody's going to buy <laughs> I it. Think it is, I, I still I, think it is. I want to do it, but there's only two cigars in this world, those that sell and those that don't. And yeah. we, we sell we, we $12 million last year. And it was, <laughs> it was pretty amazing. And then we, with Fuente, makes our, our uh, Diamond Crown cigars in Questre and La, La Unica. And in <laughs> 2011, we opened up a cigar factory in, in Nicaragua. Our J.C. Newman Penza factory, where we make our brick house, uh, Pearl Del Mar, Corm, now the new El Baton. And it's uh, pretty, uh, you know, pretty amazing. And there's more cigars made in Estelle, Nicaragua, than anywhere in the world. 300 yards from our factory is Nick Perdomo's factory. Yeah. 300 yards from his factory is the Oliva factory. Padron's there, my father, 
Drew Estates, A.J. Fernandez. It's really is. Uh, yeah. But it's hard to get to Nicaragua. You have to fly to Miami, then Miami to Managua, two-and-a-half-hour bus ride from Managua to Esteli, and now American Airlines has quit flying right. into Nicaragua because and of And then the, if, God forbid, you want to go to the tobacco farms out there, it's another three hours on a cobblestone road. It is hard. But now Man. you come to Tampa. Uh, you can don't need a passport to come, <laughs> come to Tampa and you go to jcnewman.com and book a tour. Go to a nice restaurant. It can be beautiful. <laughs> yeah. that, that is it. That's all my, my son's doing. I said, dude, this is uh, pretty expensive what he wants to do. I was, you know, if, if had a stockbroker friend of mine who came back in our, through our middle of, of our renovations, he said, what's your ROI on this project? Well, that's what stockbrokers do. They think our ROI. There's no ROI. There's an I. <laughs> yes. There's just an ROI, but I told Drew, said, you can wait till your mother and I die and get your inheritance, or you can get it now. So let's do it now. Let's, let's so build. what's Drew's position right now? He's our, a lawyer. He's a general counsel. I've, uh, I handed him the baton. Yeah. I haven't let go of it yet. He keeps on pulling it. Yes. He's got a vision. He's the one that wanted to uh, buy the Sanchez and Haya building, yeah. wants him to turn into a bread and breakfast. He's, uh, he's building a, a, a bat park right across the street. You come to Ybor City, you'll see a lot of roosters. Roosters going through the town, and they just like from Key West. And they once in a while they get hits by cars or whatever. So we have a, a rooster uh, chicken rescue area on our property. Oh my God. And he said, he's got all these ideas. He wants to grow tobacco on some property we have there. He said, Drew, we're in the cigar business. We want to make cigars and sell cigars. And uh, no doubt, I want to make this a real tourist attraction. So to show people, showcase what Tampa was at one time and yeah. still is. So we invite you to uh, come down and your listeners to come down. As far as cigars are concerned, uh, you were, I was listening to your show last week. Yeah. You're getting so many new cigars coming back from yes. the, from the uh, show. Uh, for us, it's uh, I marvel at people that manufacturers that come out with a new cigar every every six months, every year. It takes. For us, about three years from the time you come out with a new cigar, you develop a blend, develop the sure. packaging, the, the marketing. We already talked about the, the Black Diamond, which uh, Fuente makes for us, how we uh, change the packaging, change the blend, tone it that, that, down, down a bit. But another brand we've just uh, resurrected was a brand called El Baton, which is our, our uh, first brand made in Nicaragua. First box of cigars I ever bought. It was El Baton. 40 count. Box of El Baton. You Back got a great day, memory. Yeah. I yep. still have one. Yeah, that's interesting because we we came. We didn't know what we we're doing. Forty count is not a good deal. No, <laughs> no, that was not. A, we we brought it down to twenty five. Uh, this we did this fifteen years ago. I'm glad that somebody had a box of forty, and that we <laughs> we've changed the packaging, changed the the blend, toned it down. It's still the most uh, fuller flavor scar of, of what we make in, in Nicaragua. Fuller flavor than our brick house and. Pearl Del Mar. Last year we changed Pearl Del, Del, Del Mar. The business double. We changed the press. We had a Corojo, which is doing yeah, very, very, very well. It's um, again. I marvel at other manufacturers that come out with new brands every every year, and I, I, I uh, you know, I, I quote you so often, David, because everybody wants everybody wants what's new. Your consumers come in there. They come back my trade show. They say what's new. The retailers come to us and say, you know, what's new. Everybody wants something. What's new. But your great line has said, you go to a restaurant. I'm being Dave Garaflo. You don't want to go to a restaurant. You don't ask them what's new. You just ask them what's good. What's good. So, um, but yeah. unfortunately, I'm not fortunate, unfortunate that consumers have been trained to always want something new. And we won't be able to go to your factory and ask, how's the fried chicken? Because you're not actually frying the chicken. You're <laughs> rehabilitating them. 
in your case, we'll find some sushi. All right, yes, Jonathan. So, <coughs> Jonathan. All right, we got a prize to give away. Are you advocating for a fried chicken stand at the factory? I mean, not, not yes. yet, but maybe some of those roosters. That Can have some bats? So the, 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 the bats? The, yeah. the, the, the roosters that don't make it, maybe they'll have the fried chicken. All right, <laughs> let's give a prize away. Uh, right. Email of the week. This email of the week is brought to you by the folks at Aging Room. This week, they're giving away an ashtray, a jet lighter, a butterfly cutter, and a box of matches. Uh, this message was submitted through the Contact Us page of thecigarauthority.com. And uh, Hot Carl writes, Okay, I'm calling BS on Barry and Ed, especially Barry. I'm sorry if you were all lined up and I was asked to vote who was most likely to shit their pants. The order would go Barry, then Dave, then Mr. Jonathan, then Ed. Shitting your pants as an adult is just as normal as masturbation. Except we don't admit it until we are much older. In fact, I use it as a time measure measurement now, similar to BC and AD, and sadly, I'm more on the AD side of the spectrum. Anyhow, what size do cigar blenders use as the medium standard when blending? Is that even a thing? Love the show. Used to be Coronas back in the day, but no longer, right? No. When you blend in a cigar, you, Toros, are you blending to a Toro? Yeah? yeah. Toro, yeah. So things have changed. It's maybe, you know, it's a 6 by 50 ish is what they're mostly doing. That's uh, Carl with uh, shit in his pants. With that. It's nothing to do with the question. He mm. just needed to say that. <laughs> the least we know that did not happen when you were in elementary school, David. That's I, right. Last week. Because <laughs> I went home. Went home. There, there, but it's danger, though. Danger. Yeah. Now oh, we yeah. know why he's called Hot Carl. He's steaming. <laughs> right. <laughs> Last week's show submitted through the Contact Us page of thescarauthority.com. This is Matt writing. Mr. J, last week's show was podcast gold. I feel like I know you all even better now, but it did leave me with a few questions. (laughs) When did you decide to quit the man-ho business? (laughs) Was it the heels affecting your dancing or when the two high fat guys wrecked you or was it the third arrest? Second, how high were Barry and Big Lou not to recognize the famous Organ Fairchild dancing queen, a persona you worked so hard on? (laughs) Third, how awkward was it for you and Barry to meet again at Two Guys Smoke Shop instead of Two Guys Limo Service? Love the show. Favorite two and a half hours of the week. That's Matt. I I didn't understand most of that, but okay, that's Matt. Yeah, he's saying it was Jonathan and Drag. Okay. Keith writes through the Contact Us page of thecigarauthority.com. On a weekly basis, I wonder what I should write in to win the email of the week. Week in and week out, people write in and remind us of Mr. J's love for sausage or Dave's love for donuts, and somehow they continuously win. I must say that I'm unimpressed with everyone's lack of creativity, and I'm even more shocked that no one tries a good old-fashioned bribe, mob style. So with that said... As easy as it is to question Mr. J's sexuality or point out that Dave's fingers are too fat to fit in a donut hole, I instead (laughs) offer a good old-fashioned bribe. Pick me for email of the week, and I will hand-deliver the best meat Mr. J has ever had, the best donuts Dave has ever had, and the best cigar that Barry has ever smoked. Who am I kidding? I said mob-style bribe. These are all empty promises, but you should pick me anyway with the hope I will fulfill my bribe and in the fear that if you don't pick me, Mr. J will mysteriously disappear. For that reason alone, that Mr. J may disappear, you should pick me. I'd be doing you all a favor. 
Sincerely, we- Dave's mother's biggest fan. Well, see, that's a nice <laughs> thing at the very end. I'm like, okay, I'm not liking any of these things, but that was a nice thing at the end from Keith. Shit the pants, mats I didn't even understand. I'm going to go with the dry bag. All right, he's got two votes. We have to pick one of these emails. As he listens to the show every okay. freaking week. All he right. knows how the game is played. But this late in the in the show, maybe I'd be tapping out by now. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got, Ed? Yeah, I was hardly listening. It's late in the show. I'll, I'll go with number three. All right, so Keith gets it as number three because that's what Jonathan picked too. Uh, you know, right. I only last for two hours, and bri- we're at two o. You bribe, you say you're going to buy three boxes of the Lanceros that are still sitting there at 104, by the way. 104 boxes. We can well, begin the countdown. Somebody earlier said you should have packaged them in boxes of 500, and you would have only had to sell a few of them. Right, right. That's it. Lancero, you don't make a Lancero in anything. We were going to until I started listening <laughs> to your show. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a loser. Um, <laughs> on the after show, uh, which is going to uh, happen right after the show is over, you're going to hear uh, two stories of brush brushes with greatness. One is a football referee and a dog in a cigar, and the other one is an old dirty bastard in a cigar. Mm. Two stories uh, that you might find uh, very interesting. So we'll get to that on the after show. But we're smoking uh, the Diamond Crown Black Diamond and final thoughts here on it. Uh, First off, I want a number from you guys of what the strength number is. Don't forget, we also got to get to the asylum. Right. Oh, shit. Let's get to that. It's time to take a peek into the asylum from our friends at Asylum Cigars. You know it's weak this week. It's time for news from the insane asylum. Odd and sometimes historic news stories that are too insane to be true. Or are they? Brought to you by Asylum Cigars. Take no prisoners. Asylum Cigars are truly flavorful, medium-bodied Nicaraguan cigars with sizes ranging from 4 inches by 44 to the absolutely insane 8 inch by 80. Asylum Cigars. (laughs) And a Florida man is behind bars on DUI charges for allegedly drunk driving a motorized scooter inside Walmart where he nearly struck shoppers and crashed into shelves. Gregory was reportedly so intoxicated, he was barely able to stand on his own and had to be transported from the store on a stretcher. He's in a motor scooter because he may be handicapped and he can't walk. Or maybe he had slippers on. Maybe. (laughs) Anyway, he was charged with four misdemeanors, including driving under the influence, disorderly intoxication, and possession of an open container of alcohol. No word if he was pulled over or if there was a lengthy chase through women's undergarments. And that's not only insane, it's asylum. And Eric, what the hell is in the water in Florida? Because there is a story every week about Florida, man. Florida people. In Walmart, right? Yep. That's it. Florida is the place everybody goes. To go crazy. Yes. And die. You, you see license plates from everywhere in the country now, right? I mean, it's booming. Everybody's moving to Florida. What's going on? No taxes. Yeah. Great weather. And now we have a new uh, cigar tourist destination for, for cigar lovers. Yeah, there it is right there. There it is right there. And compared to the people of Florida, chances are you're sane. Yeah. This may be the longest show we ever did, and we could have went on for 10 oh, hours yeah. longer. 
I mean, it, mm-hmm. it should never end. When we try to set the re- world record podcast, we're going to have Eric on, and we can do <laughs> all of his stories. Yes. Three, 300 years of history of the scary industry, Dave. That's it. <laughs> that, that was part it's of it anyway, so, but there's so much. So I wrote down a number talk. for the strength. You yeah. said the strength. Yes. Okay, good. Five. Get out of town. 8.5. Seven. Six. Really? Man, it's strong to me. Hmm. And I'd say it's a, it's a half a notch down from where it was at nine. It's eight and a half. It's Ooh. still strong. Oh, boy. Full body, guys. It's this is it. So balanced. It, it's more full body than the Maximus. Yep. Yes? Yep. Okay. Yeah, but step s- up But smooth, smoother than the Maximus. Yes. It, it's elegant. I mean, it's nice, nice cigar, but uh, that's it. Uh, Eric Newman, thank you so much. This is always great. It's been too long. It's been, been three too- years since I've been yes, up here. Yes, it's too long. You can't let that happen. Yeah, but we'll see you next month, right? Yeah. Looking for the forward, anniversary Looking forward to everybody right? being up here. Can't, can't, can't wait. Okay, good. That's it for the Cigar Authority. Sorry we went a little too long, but we had to. Next week is the Cigar Industry Graveyard, where cigars go to die and brands that it happened to. Uh, it's the ugly truth. Where are the cigars gone? will be next week. Until then, you've been listening to The Cigar Authority on the United Podcast Network. And you actually did learn something today, which makes you The Cigar Authority. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.